Sounds Familiar, a podcast where we discuss two pieces of media that share themes, plot points, or overarching ideas. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram to keep up to date with our upload schedule, news, and discussions. Take your seat, grab your popcorn, and silence your cell phones now. Please enjoy the show. Welcome to Sounds Familiar. My name is Caleb, and I am inevitable. And also all of the Sith. My name's Stephanie, and I am Iron Man. And also I am all the Jedi. Wow. Such brilliant writing. I know. Wow, the parallels. It's like it's, it's like poetry. It, it rhymes. It rhymes. Wow. You're right. It really does. Wow. Uh, in case you don't have these movies memorized, um, lucky you, this week, Stephanie and I, sans Justin, are discussing Avengers Endgame and Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. Well, Justin will be part of the conversation, just he, He'll he be recording record everything in us. post and inserting his comments from the peanut gallery later. Yes. So, we've been planning this episode for a little while now. We kind of wanted to close out 2020 with uh, with the movies that closed out 2019. So, well, right. Endgame God, didn't, but you, you know. God, if you're taking notes, this episode is about how to end a saga. <laughs> yes. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of our point of comparison for... This week, uh, we kind of wanted to look at both of these as kind of maybe the most prime examples ever of the endings of of a, like a long running story there, in film form. There's literally nothing else that either of these could be compared to except each other. Right, right. Like, yeah, of course. By the way, when I say prime examples, I mean the best examples of of this type of phenomenon, not necessarily best examples as far as quality. <laughs> I just mean like, yeah, that we live in such a weird cultural moment now where, uh, so much of, I don't know where IP is such a big thing. And these big franchises have been running for a long time. And so it was kind of interesting how in 2019, we actually got a few endings of, of these, uh, really popular Game properties. Of Thrones. Yeah. Yeah, we'll give a, a little honorary shout-out to Game of Thrones. Uh, <laughs> the Infinity Saga and the Skywalker Saga. Yeah, right. I was or- I was originally kind of discussing this in terms of, like, how to end a franchise, but um, it, they're not really f- the endings of the franchises. Like, the Ugh. MCU will continue, and Star Wars. Star Wars will also continue. Is that a threat? Um, <laughs> <laughs> that sounds At like a threat. At this point, it's, it's starting to seem like one. Um, but they are, yeah, Caleb pointed out, they are more like the endings of these particular stories, like these sagas. So, um, yeah, we started thinking about that and how, like, it's kind of interesting what they do and what they don't do in, in regards to ending How they stories. build upon their predecessors or yes. don't. Right. In particular, uh, Caleb and I, um, I don't, I'm not sure if Justin was able to get around to it. Uh, but we'll see. Um, but this was just kind of an extra thing we did. Caleb and I watched the predecessor to each of these movies, um, 
we watched Infinity War before Endgame and uh, The Last Jedi before Rise of Skywalker as kind of emblematic of how these movies are or, or you know, are not building on what came before. Um, and and um, in watching these these two predecessors to these films, uh, well, first of all, we are kind of of the opinion that they're a little bit better than our our main movies that we're talking about today, uh, though in not to the same degree. Correct. <laughs> um, but it, it was interesting to see kind of how how they built on what came before, and sort of how well they responded to their predecessor. Like, in engaging with those ideas and right. continuing them. One feels like they're working together, and the other feels like, um, well, they're not. They're not working <laughs> together. They're actively working against each other. Yeah. Um, I mean, we might as well go ahead and point, off, uh, point out right off the bat that, you know, Infinity War and Endgame are directed by the same people, whereas The Last Jedi by and the same people. are not. It feels like Kevin Feige has a much firmer... Um, all-encompassing grasp of the MCU and ensuring that they all work together that um, it feels like Star Wars does not have. Um, It feels like the MCU has been planned out far more in advance um, as opposed to the prequels or the sequel saga sequel trilogy is was winging it literally from movie to movie regardless of what they would have us believe we know that the script for rise of skywalker was not finished when they started filming and that they were just ad-libbing shit scene to scene okay (laughs) this is known yeah it it uh, i'm sorry if that script was planned out well beforehand that's also not really a compliment like i'm just saying Okay. Okay. Well, before we'll, we, we'll get into before that. Before we focus too much on comparison points, let's yeah. just discuss Avengers Endgame, parentheses 2019. <laughs> yes, the chronologically this one came first, so we will be talking about this one The first. probably first superhero movie to make me cry. Aww. But not because it was, you know, there were enough sad moments. There was, there was a lot that led into that, and I'll talk about it later because justin and stephanie insist on the details <laughs> the tawdry details being made known i just think it's so funny and, and cute it's cute avengers endgame yeah okay uh infinity war mm-hmm. its predecessor mm-hmm. as we mentioned previously i feel like infinity war is a little bit better but it's not very it's not that drastic a difference Right. Not as drastic. No. no. <laughs> um, they're both pretty solid and entertaining in their own right. Um, Endgame being, you know, directed by the, the same directors um, and being part of the MCU, it follows directly out of the events of the previous movie. Yes. Um, yeah. Pr- pretty, pretty obviously. Yeah. Pretty directly. The, the time skip doesn't happen at the very beginning, right? No, it, yeah, it... <laughs> right, it yeah. starts with Tony yeah. floating in space, like, two weeks later. Right, uh, well, it, it shows, actually, it starts with Hawkeye's family disappearing. Oh, okay, snap. you're right, so it, it starts literally with the snap. Okay. Yeah, and then, uh, Tony in space, then they try to go kill Thanos, well, they do kill Thanos, they try to reverse the snap and are unsuccessful, then there's, of course, the, the hard cut to five, five years, years later. later, yes. Okay. Tony in space, I like the little stuff with him and Nebula getting along. Yeah. 
I wish we got to see a little more of that later yeah. in the movie. It was no, a cute no, little friendship. Yeah, no, it's it's cute. They're playing like uh, paper football, and Nebula's just like, yes, that was fun. <laughs> like, <laughs> like she's never said she, those she's never played a game before. You know, mm-hmm. she, games to her have been, uh, you know, beat up your sister, or I'll replace another one of your limbs with a robot parts. Yep. Um, yep. <laughs> yep. So I imagine low stakes games like that are, are a, a revelation to her. Mm-hmm. Um, I bet you she becomes, like, obsessed with board games on Earth or something. <laughs> Low-stakes stuff where she can beat people but doesn't have to worry about, you know, getting yeah. a cybernetic implant if she loses. Um, Just Nebula, like, Rocket, would you like to play checkers? <laughs> Nebula, no! You win every time, okay? I'm tired of playing checkers. Go ask Groot! <laughs> <laughs> I would love to see that. Yeah, the, those are always some of the most fun parts of Marvel movies, is just, like, the little slice of life stuff. Yes. Um, which is important. Like, it's it's humanizing, I guess, for all the, like, the big crazy stuff that happens. I think that's part of what has endeared people to the movies so much, is that, I don't know, it, it does feel kind of like the characters feel very human and, like, kind of fun, relatable. Um, it's the, Those little scenes are important. Because they, they let the movie breathe and it lets the audience just spend time with these characters in yeah. a very low-stakes situation. Like a Professor Hulk handing Ant-Man a taco was cute. Right. <laughs> or the, like the, the scene where um, Cap and Nat are talking um, after the time skip and they just have this nice little yeah. several-minute quiet conversation that feels like two friends on a dinner date, you know? Yeah. Um. It's those moments are sorely missing from Star Wars. Yes. Though that's never been Star Wars' MO. No. It never never has been. No, that's true. Star Wars is a lot less like it's a lot it's a lot more focused on like the plot at hand, which I don't think is a bad thing necessarily. Yeah. It, it just like you said, it's a different MO. But I will say, as we will get into later, I think um Rise of Skywalker was sorely missing more like quiet uh emotionally resonant moments yes that um, just you can just sit with right. you know yeah um and in game you know clocks in at over three hours long <laughs> yeah. but no i will give it it has i think it has pretty good pacing yeah i do too i don't feel that it ever really drags uh, I will question how much some of it needed to be there, like right. how it necessary de- all of it was. There definitely but... is some fat that could be trimmed, but it doesn't, not really anything that drags the movie down too much. Right. Um, and nothing that right. feels like we're rushing too much, you know, it's, uh, everything happens in its time. Yeah, um, it definitely doesn't feel rushed, which you would hope that a movie that was three hours long wouldn't, but <laughs> it, yes, it, it's interesting because it's like the stakes kind of feel lower than Infinity War, but also higher. I, I don't know. I how feel to put like it that's exactly. I, that's important. I have two thoughts. One, this movie is the culmination of like twenty-one movies that came before. I don't remember the exact number. It's something like that. So it very easily could have just been way too crammed full of all these different threads that they're trying to tie together and things that they're trying to end or resolve. Um, but it's not. It doesn't feel crammed. Um, I think it it really helped that Infinity War and Endgame were two separate movies. Yes, that absolutely needed to happen. And that was my other thought was based on what related to what you were saying and that the the super 
high stakes were set in Infinity War, and then, you know, it happened. Like, the the, 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 the heroes lost. Yeah. Um, we lost big time. So, at the beginning of Endgame, we can't really go any lower. Yeah. Um, so, point. while we're down at the bottom, we're just going to spend a little bit of time there um, before we start getting our hopes up that, you know, we can undo all of this and i think it's good that it does spend some time at the bottom you know uh, i think that that was necessary for making the climb back up like feel feel more poignant um and i think there's always kind of like it's a similar thing with the last jedi like the penultimate we had a discussion about this is that a word or is that the right word the penultimate chapter makes sense for it to be the darkest one because that is when you need to set the stakes as high as they as they can be. Mm-hmm. Um, things need to get really bad before they can end on a good note. Which did happen with... I'm going to venture into movie comparison territory real quick before mm-hmm. I forget this thought in part three. Which did happen with The Last Jedi. The Last Jedi ends with our heroes being dealt their biggest blow yet. And they're at their lowest and their weakest. There's like a dozen of them left. Yeah. But Rise of Skywalker doesn't spend any time with that. The movie immediately picks up an unspecified amount of time later, and our heroes have already recovered and are back to their normal powerful status quo. Yeah, that is a problem, honestly. And it's kind of strange to me, because if I was a filmmaker, I I think I would want my movie, like, in, if I was making The Rise of Skywalker specifically, or a movie like that, I would actually welcome the chance to start it out at a really low point, because then think of all the ways you can I mean, build it back up from there. Return of the Jedi did. The entire first act of Return of the Jedi is like, dear God, Han is screwed. <laughs> we need to go rescue Han. We have to save our friend. Um, so yeah. given how badly Rise of Skywalker wants to be a Marvel movie, it like it learned all the wrong lessons. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think that um, I like the beginning of Endgame. I like how it starts off with, <laughs> with yet another failure on the part of the heroes. Um, because they go to try and reverse the snap. They, they think they're going to find Thanos and they think that when they find him, they, they will be able to use the stones to undo the snap. However, they are only able to find Thanos and the, the fact that they are able to kill him or that Thor specifically goes ahead and kills him feels like such a hollow victory. Like, which it is right. It it is. I mean, that's why Thor goes into his deep depression because yeah, he did what, he should have done, but it was way too late. Yes, and I like that um, just killing Thanos isn't presented as a victory in and of itself. Right. Because they weren't actually able to save anyone. Like, sure, they got their revenge on the villain, but, like, but There were no reparations. Right, right. Um, so th- I think that was a good way to start it off. Um, I think that it takes a little while to get going from that point on which which makes sense it, it's just right things don't really pick up until act 2 when ant-man shows up yeah i would say that's probably the beginning of act 2 oh yeah like my note that says the universe is saved by a rat accidentally stepping on a button i <laughs> i have a problem with that specific <laughs> plot point i really do the fact that that ant-man comes back because because a rat just happened to step on the right button to release him. I woof. Okay, I will say this: Endgame does 
rely on coincidence a little bit? A lot. (laughs) Iron Man is saved because guess what? Captain Marvel happened to be in the right sector of the galaxy. You know, I was confused Um, about that. I thought maybe she went, they sent her to go looking for him, but I guess that's not what happened. I I did also assume that the ship was probably putting out a distress signal or something. Yeah. But they use her twice as a convenient saving. Well, yeah, because they don't know what else to do with her because she's so powerful. Right. This is not a this is not a complaint against Captain Marvel. This is a complaint against the writers not knowing what to do with a character that has been made so powerful. Oh, it's the same thing we were talking about in Infinity War, where like Vision and Wanda, like despite the fact that they're like mega powerful, get like easily overpowered and then. The people who like main their main power is throwing really hard punches, like show up to save the day. Right. <laughs> and only two of those people can actually throw really hard punches. Right, the other sorry, two I can just, just throw said normal human strength. People who can do karate yes, show up to save there you the go. day. I believe that's the phrase you used when we were watching <laughs> yeah. it. I didn't want to use my same joke from before, but the it audience does kind doesn't of, know. That's true. It does kind of encompass the problem. Like, I mean, obviously, I I really love those two characters, so I get like more than my fair share of salt about how they're used or more like not used in the movies. But that is a problem that a lot of the Marvel team up movies have is that if the characters that aren't as important, quote unquote, are more powerful, then they just come up with increasingly like weird ways to keep them away from the action or nerf them. There's a reason so, Quicksilver is dead. Yeah. Because he's like, he has the Marvel equivalent of the Speed Force or whatever. Yes. <laughs> mm. Yeah, that that can be a little frustrating because it can end up either just using those characters as like a random like power up or save, or just like finding a silly reason to get them out of the way. But but you know all that all that aside, I think this movie is pretty honest about trying really hard to focus on the main original Avengers. So I yeah. I won't fault it for that because it it's not like it's pretending it's doing anything else. <laughs> Which this movie it should it should do that. Yes. Because this is effectively the culmination of all of their arcs. I mean it was supposed to be until um Chris Hemsworth decided he liked playing Thor now um and he's going <laughs> to stick around for a bit. Um yeah, it's still the conclusion but... of an arc for him, but it's the resolution of Tony's and Cap's and Nat's and I guess Hawkeye and Hulk's. Like <laughs> I don't, they're Hawkeye and Hulk are still around. Yeah, I... the. But it's always been Cap and Tony. They've always been the most important ones. Yeah. Um, right. So this movie was obviously going to act as a send off for them. Um. I don't care for how it sends off Natasha quite as much, but we'll get into that. Mm. Um, but yes, as like kind of a love letter to the original six, uh, I'm fine with that. Um, right. So after Ant-Man shows up, which was how that thought process started, <laughs> um, we the main plot kicks in. And this is where we start to get into the, the, the time travel story, um, which... I'm fine with. Yeah. It does not bother me at all. Some people, as soon as time travel becomes involved in a movie, <laughs> they just, like, imme- their brains shut off and they're like, ugh, time travel. That means it's bad. Um, but I don't I don't care. I I will occasionally maybe nitpick but um, the, the, the details of time travel, but I don't know. This movie pretty solidly tries to cover its bases so that, like, you can't nitpick it. I do think it's a little, a little funny how like 
how easily time travel is like just invented um (laughs) i don't i will say i don't have a problem with it because i don't think that we need to spend a lot of time on it it is just a little funny that like this huge reality altering thing is just kind of invented by one guy sort of overnight (laughs) well that's exactly what he did in avengers one when he became an expert on I don't remember what it was. Right. Gamma radiation, quantum yeah. physics, something like that. <laughs> That's Tony's thing. Yeah. So, but, but yes, it's not really necessary that we see him agonize over it. It's just necessary that it happen. Uh, so I don't have a huge problem with it. And it's interesting, like time travel. I guess now that we're talking about it, the, <laughs> um, I remember watching uh, Patrick Willems' video on like speculating on episode nine or specifically on JJ Abrams as a, as a filmmaker. And he, he speculated that time travel would be involved. Um, and what's fascinating is that Endgame actually (laughs) involves time travel a lot more specifically, but doesn't feel as stuck in the past as rise of Skywalker does, even though it doesn't explicitly use. time travel. Yes. Let's talk about that for a second. I mean, you can, you're better at forming words than me, so I hope you can help me put this into a, cohe- a co- <laughs> coherent thought and not just a feeling. I'll, okay. I'll do my best. Help me put into words why... So, the time travel stuff in Endgame, mm-hmm. they are visiting scenes from their past that we as an audience have seen in prior movies. Yes. But it doesn't feel masturbatory. It feels, it doesn't feel just self referential for the sake of doing it. It genuinely feels like a loving homage, like, look how far we've come. Um, and like, yeah, let's even... let's take one last trip down memory lane before we end this journey, as opposed to Rise of Skywalker, which you said doesn't in- directly involve time travel, but feels very stuck in the past, very member berries yeah i like how in endgame when they visit things from the past it's always kind of with this almost comparative lens like like you were saying like look how far we've come or like telling something i guess new about the future like specifically i'm thinking of (laughs) i don't know when Captain America fights his past self or something, and is kind of like, oi, this guy, a little bit, you know. Yes, um, that is funny. Right. As opposed to, like, just directly quoting a prior movie yeah, or referencing a prior character. Yeah, how he's grown. Yeah, he's like, I could do this all day, and older Cap is like, yeah, I know. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, what a fucking Boy Scout, am I right? <laughs> um, and also, you know, when Tony <laughs> speaks to his, his father in the past, that... That is, you know, we're, that's not really for the audience so much because we don't have any attachment to Howard Stark. We, w- Tony does, though, and that is a big thing. Like, if you're going to revisit the past and you're going to focus on the past, then it at the very least it needs to be significant to the character, not just the audience. And that, once again, is, is a big problem I had with a lot of the... <laughs> The, the member berries in Rise of Skywalker is that they very much feel like a, a wink to the audience, like, hey, you remember this thing, but they don't feel significant, uh, <laughs> significant to the character. Like, that is my whole issue with, like, for instance, revisiting the Lars homestead. 
Um, you know, Ray doesn't give a fuck about that place. She she doesn't no. even have any. What do you think? The only way she would know about it, uh, conceivably, like know anything more about it than that it's on Tatooine, is like Luke's like maybe telling her about it during during her training. But he wouldn't have been like. I don't know. He he hated that place. He wanted to leave. He wouldn't have been like, oh my god, you have to see it. Like, it means so much to me. He would have been like, let me tell you, kid, I used to be stuck on this shitty planet, and now I'm stuck on another shitty planet, or something like that, you know? Well, at least this one has water yeah. and green stuff. <laughs> right. Um, like, so there's... You don't want to go back there. Yeah, there like... would have been no... There was no in-canon reason for Ray to give a fuck about that place. There's no reason for her to look at it with, like, these wide starry eyes. Luke didn't end his own journey there. Right. No, it... it uh... Anyway, it... <laughs> my, my, my point is, once again, we're a little premature with all the bitching, but uh, my point is that I liked that... It, revisiting the past was usually with the point of telling us something about the character characters or having the characters learn something. Right, revealing new information. Yes, like that An is alternate very angle. Right. Um and and I guess, you know, even like when for instance Cap uh sees Peggy and there's kind of that like reinforcing of like I don't know, like that alternate timeline, you know, or, or sorry, not really an alternate timeline, the timeline that did happen, like seeing her older, seeing her without him and having a completely separate life from him and like seeing like that it might've been different if he, if, if things had gone differently. And of course that's kind of calling to what ends up happening in the end, but it feels relevant to the character. It feels like him. It's not just him being like, member Peggy. It's him being like, Oh, I'm I'm seeing her like uh, as you know an older woman now. I'm seeing her with her own life, and I'm not part of it. And that's like <laughs> that hits him pretty hard, understandably. Um, and uh, like with Thor talking to his mom once again. Great like, scene. Yeah, what a great I, scene. Thor is not my favorite in this movie. He went from being fantastic in Infinity War to this. It's odd how they use him in this movie. There's some really great parts and some... Incredibly odd. Incredibly strange. I hate the fat Thor jokes, and Mm, it goes on for way, way too long. Mm -hmm. Um, They should have just got that out of their system in the first scene with him and then been done with it. Um, um, it, (laughs) Thor himself has changed drastically. Like, first movie... (laughs) Yes, he has. First two phases Thor would not have said, I'm totally from the future! I don't know why that line irks me, but it does. Um, but that whole whole scene with Frigga is... It's a good scene, yeah. It's, it's a lovely little scene. He he is upset because he lost his mother, and uh, he partially feels like it's his fault. Um, and now he's getting the chance to have a conversation with her, and the fact that he can't hide anything from her, that she says, you know, I was raised by a witch's boy. Um, it's just... It's, know, it's a it's wonderful yeah. little scene. We have... This movie, two of its most emotionally important and resonant scenes are characters speaking with their deceased parents that they right, have unresolved yeah. emotional issues with. I'd imagine if Ray had gotten to do something like that. <laughs> uh, anyway. <laughs> Caleb's just like staring into space, blinking. <laughs> I'm trying to I'm trying to grok how I feel about Ray's parents. Like Well, like, 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 
I want her to have some sort of resolution with her past. We probably but, better save uh, this. Okay. Because I have a lot to say on that one. Yes. <laughs> so you better put has... a pin in it. I have a whole rant. It's prepackaged. She has um, multiple. I do. I do. Um, but but yes. Anyway, that that is a good use of time travel. Like especially if you're gonna revisit yes. stuff from the past, that is a good way to do it. Um, I wish that I know that they couldn't do this with everyone, but I wish that the other Avengers had also maybe had a little more to do with those visiting the past things. It was mostly just Tony and Thor with a little bit of Steve. Um, it feels like the other three didn't really get to have, like, poignant moments from their past. Yeah, War Machine comes back, Nat dies, Hawkeye comes back minus Nat, Nebula <laughs> yeah. gets the short end of the stick. Um, gets As usual. Like, yeah. Poor, <laughs> that's just her lot in life. Yeah. <laughs> gets kidnapped and tortured yep. um and then evil nebula comes back to the future right which i mean you know speaking of past versions of oneself that's kind of interesting to see nebula who's yes more or less had a a very subtle little redemption arc going this whole time uh then having to interact with like her past self and like all <laughs> how you know what a mess she was. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like um Professor Hulk seeing himself smashing some cars and like cringing. Yeah, his embarrassment. <laughs> oh, I, I I love that little scene, that little moment where he like half heartedly smashes and yeah, punches he's some like, cars. This isn't he's me like, anymore. Ah, yeah, I get ah, whatever. <laughs> he's like, look, I'm a little embarrassed of that guy. Um, but but yes, yeah, so um, gosh. The, the in here is where I start to lose track of what's happening in the plot a little bit because for one thing there's like four different like plot threads like they come on. back from the past Thanos also comes back from the past then big fight um yes essentially that's what happens okay and I suppose here's where I'll give my thoughts and story okay <laughs> um I have a couple critiques of this big hour-long battle at the end of the movie. One, the color grading. It's hideous. It's just purple and gray. And 90% of the time, it is impossible to distinguish any shapes from any other shapes. There is a shot where um, Tony, Cap, and Thor are approaching Thanos, and I can't make out any of the four individuals on screen apart from the wreckage that is also on screen, okay? <laughs> There's a shot of Cap uh, by himself facing down Thanos' entire army across this vast field, and you cannot make out Cap or Thanos or his army, <laughs> okay? Yeah. It's... It's also super drab, and we're talking about the final scene of a comic book movie. Patrick Willems made a whole video on this. It's probably I'm pretty sure it's a video that made him popular yeah. about Marvel's color grading and how the Russos in particular might like to make things super gray. Bump that color saturation up a little bit, okay? Take some lessons from James Gunn. It doesn't have to just be the colors of space. Like, make every scene yeah. bump that color up a little bit, okay? Mm -hmm. um, uh, that, that's honestly, like... Probably my biggest complaint about the movie outside of Fat Thor, which as far as complaints <laughs> go, you know, I could probably do my own edits of the movie and <laughs> I could probably do that myself with Photoshop and be satisfied. Yeah. Um, 
But, okay, so, <laughs> um, Stephanie and I like to go to big event movies like this on opening weekend because I love the vibe of the audience being really into it, right? It's like the, that video that was going around on Twitter a couple weeks ago of, like, the crowd at Avengers Endgame. I live for that, okay? Like, when we were in Infinity War and Thor finally shows up on Earth and says, Bring me Thanos! And just, like, being part of a massive audience of several hundred people and everyone goes, Yeah! <laughs> I live for that. And it's never going to happen again. That's a once-in-a-lifetime thing. That is not going to be repeated because there's never going to be anything as big as Inven Avengers Infinity War or Endgame. That's kind of sad. It is. Bad, isn't it? it is. <laughs> because it's been done, right? Yeah. Even if there is another massive 20-movie-long Marvel movie saga, it's not going to be the same. Um, so, opening weekend of Infinity War. Sorry, Endgame. It's the final scene. And when... Spoilers for Endgame, <laughs> when Cap catches Thor's hammer, the audience loses it, myself included. We're all cheering and screaming, because we've been expecting this for I don't know how many years now. And this is where I start to lose it. I start to tear up a little bit. I like I will admit that. I start to, like, tears start forming, okay? And then he's fighting Thanos wielding Thor's hammer and doing an awesome job and it's just the coolest shit um and then he's by himself and the portals open and out steps Black Panther and out steps the Guardians of the Galaxy and Doctor Strange and Spider-Man and Cap tightens his shield and he finally says the fucking line he finally says, Avengers assemble. <laughs> and I, I break. Oh I, 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 I was just <laughs> full on, like, ugly crying in the theater just because I was, like, as a little nerd boy, Aww. was just so happy <laughs> to have this, like, all of these Marvel superheroes on screen, Caps wielding Thor's hammer, my parents know who Thanos is. <laughs> Cap finally said Avengers Assemble. And I'm just sobbing. And, like, I think right before the charge started, Stephanie says that she remembers hearing someone crying. <laughs> she didn't know who. I was trying to stifle it because I didn't want to, like, unnerve the people sitting next to me. Because it was a... Cr like, every seat had a had someone in it. And I was, like, trying to keep the crying in so as to not, like, make the people next to me be like is this dude crying for <laughs> and so stephanie was like who is that and she didn't find out until much later when i told the story that it was actually me yeah i thought i knew it was a man crying like i could tell that but i thought it was uh, someone a few seats down from caleb but uh no it was just caleb <laughs> for months after that i would still tear up every time i thought about the scene oh, that's adorable <laughs> I don't know if cinema has ever made me feel that much. <laughs> and I love cinema. Well, okay, it it's not let me let me rephrase that. It has made me feel that much, but I guess like what Caleb was experiencing was something that I honestly have never like actually experienced, which is like that unique combination of like 
I don't know, how would you put it? Like, prior experience was, with something, like, already existing attachment. It was this intense combination of, like, catharsis and emotional, val- and, like, validation. Yes, yes. Um, like... That I, I understand. The first time I had a hint that something like that could be, was possible, was when we saw the first Avengers movie opening weekend, and... In the post credit scene, Thanos showed up for a couple f- seconds, and I lost my mind, right? Because, like, uh, Infinity Gauntlet was the first comic I ever remember reading. Um, oh. So, realizing that they were doing a film adaptation of the thing that got me into comic books, um, and then just seeing the realization with of that... Um, yeah, that's pretty cool. ...with Endgame. I don't know, it was just... it was immensely satisfying and cathartic and validating yeah i definitely understand that that makes sense um right and i've never really had that exact experience so i i don't know if i'll ever experience that which is a little sad to me to be honest but but you know it i i am glad like we you know we rag on these like shared universe franchises and everything and and i do i do too um <laughs> pretty shamelessly sometimes um for someone who still follows them but but i think there is definitely something in kind of that culturally experienced shared narrative i i don't know if i'm like phrasing that correctly but like uh the these these big big franchises and how there's kind of that communal uh communal communal experience of everyone sort of experiencing it at the same time not everyone but a shit ton of people and following it over years and years and getting attached to those characters and to their stories like yeah um you know that's the i mean that's why everyone fucking loves star wars and, <laughs> but, well, yeah, follow, uh, um yeah tune into the second part yeah, why we uh regale everyone with um uh how uh our opening weekend experiences with uh, The Last Jedi and Rise of Skywalker varied from uh, in yes. Infinity War and Endgame. Yes. <laughs> but but y- y- I guess you know what I mean. Like, kind of getting attached to a story over a period of, of you know, years. Which, I mean, once again, with, like, Game of Thrones, which we're not going to discuss in detail on here. Because, for one thing, Caleb hasn't seen it. For another thing, it's a TV show. But, um, still, like, that, that was another thing that was such a big thing like so many people talking about it you know every time it would air and now it's just kind of like no we don't really talk about it because yeah it kind of dropped the ball there but i wish i didn't have to talk about star wars oh i like talking about star wars even when it's angrily (laughs) but anyway yeah so I, i think that there's definitely something to that and i i like that it's an experience we could have um I don't know that I guess my my main complaint with Endgame is well okay I have like smaller complaints but I guess my overall complaint that kind of contains them is that I think that despite it being like ostensibly a, a big farewell to all six of the original Avengers it m- feels much more like the Tony Cap and Thor show um, which it kind of has definitely been from the is. beginning. No, I know. It's like, just... Nat and Hawkeye have gotten the short stick from the first Avengers movie. Yeah, I just... Well, for instance, like, I don't love how, you know, the only female member of the Avengers, you know, kind of dies halfway through the movie or, like, two-thirds... More like two-thirds of the way through the movie. 
not even seen by most of the other characters and doesn't get a big funeral, you know, the way... Tony does? Yeah, it... it... Now, I'm not as mad about that whole development as a lot of people I've seen are... I'm not super attached to the character, but I don't love it for sure. I think that that is where the kind of disproportionate level of attention given to some of the characters over others kind of stands out a little more, I dare say. Um, so I, I don't know. That, that didn't really hit for me. Like, and it's weird because I actually do kind of like the Soulstone scenes in Infinity War and Endgame. I like them because they kind of, <laughs> they kind of force a, a certain, just by virtue of like what has to happen in that scene, force some really strong emotional moments and mm. like. And they have a great score. Oh yeah. I absolutely love the score in those scenes. Just, just freaking magnificent. Um, uh, <laughs> you know, obviously I don't love the, every time we show up here, a female character dies thing. Uh, but, you know, other aspects of the scene and this I is like. where we come to murder the young, pretty assassins. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, you're right. Wow. Weird. Gamora is just space black widow. Jesus. You know what? You're right. She kind of is. She's... Kidnapped at birth, or kidnapped as a child. Yep, yep. Trained to become an assassin. Marvel has, like, three types of female characters, and that's about it. <laughs> um... Maybe that maybe that's part of why I like Wanda so much. She feels like the rare fourth type, but even then, it's still kind of like she started off kind of bad, but not really bad, and now she's good. And I don't know, neutered. Yeah, and weak. we're not going to use her nearly as much as we could. She and has then... the power of Infinity Stone, but she ain't going to get to use all yeah, of it. <laughs> yeah. So I. Anyway, like that bitching aside, I I also wish a little more was done with. Uh, Bruce and okay, yes. whatever the hell Hawkeye's name is, Clint. C- Clint. Clint. And uh, I got to really pronounce the N on that one. Um, so that's like I just feel like more could have been done with those two, but you know it's but it's whatever. This they movie could... is already three hours long. Yes. There is only so much, and movie. they could still be in other properties right. because they're still like alive and stuff. Um, things we like. Oh. I'll talk about Tony and Cap for a second. Yeah. I am thoroughly satisfied with the conclusion to Tony and Cap's arcs. See, apparently that's a more controversial thing than I, I don't know was. why that's controversial. It They feel natural, they make logical sense, and they feel like satisfying, cathartic conclusions, right? Tony, uh, from the first Avengers movie, Cap told him, you're not the guy to make the sacrifice play. Um, he started off as selfish. He didn't care about anyone but himself. And then he finds himself the protector of the earth. He has a family that he cares about. He got to live that. I may have only been for five years. You know, it's sad that he couldn't be for longer, but he did get to live that life as a husband and a father. And he was the one who was, as Thanos put it, cursed with knowledge. Mm. Um, he knew Thanos was coming because, you know, that vision he had in uh, Age of Ultron. Um, and so Tony being the one to make the sacrifice play at the end of it all, I don't know. It I, it feels like a natural conclusion to me. Yeah. And it's sad that he dies, but it feels necessary because the whole point was that we're ending this saga, right? And leaving room for new heroes to step up. Yeah, and I think... 
you know the 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 sacrifice narrative is endemic to the superhero genre i i can't really have too much of a problem with it as long as it's executed well because like kind of a a recurring theme in like most superhero properties that is kind of necessary to them uh due due to let me back up. I'm trying to fold too many ideas into this sentence. Like, uh, a lot of superhero movies kind of focus on that narrative of, like, going from selfishness to selflessness or learning to put aside what you want for the the greater good. Um, and uh, that, what I was trying to say a second ago, like, is pretty necessary for the type of story that it is. Because if you're going to have a story about someone who has more power than everyone else it's like the Spider-Man thing. You have to then make it about the responsibility that comes with that power. Mm. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I don't mind, I guess is what I'm saying, when a character's arc ends with that kind of sacrifice in this kind of story because it, it feels natural. Right. Like, and it, with in the case of Tony, I, I have seen some people uh, criticize it by saying that, like, it feels like it's a punishment for him, even though he already became a better person. Uh, I I guess I don't see it that way. I see it more like he has <laughs> had his fun, so to speak. Like, he, he lived a good portion of his life uh, as his own man, doing whatever he wanted. Um, and now, like, after he had his revelation in, in the very first Iron Man movie... Like, you have to remember that he was, he was into middle age when that happened. Like, that, he was not a young man when that happened. Like, he lived a good portion of his life before ever having that revelation. What we've seen is the aftermath of that primarily, and his journey to becoming a better person. We didn't get to see a lot of what came before it, but we know that it was there. And I think this is a natural culmination to, to that journey. Right, him reaching the point of ultimate selflessness. Exactly. Like, I... I think that was a good journey for him to make. And also, I, I I think it is worth noting that he he was given the grace of getting to have those five years, like Caleb said, of being a family man and, like, living at peace. Um, so it's not as if... <laughs> it's not as if his life was nonstop suffering and then he died. Right. It, there was good and bad. Also, to build on what you were saying about the... Um, what was it? This, the... The sacrifice, um, yeah. the, the ultimate, the the sacrifice narrative. Right. Um, I feel it is important to have a someone make a sacrifice in one of these movies, and it is permanent. Yeah. You know, no resurrections this time. Right, especially when you are resurrecting right. so many people. Comic books are famous for deaths that do not stick. Like it's a famously a running joke that the only person who stays dead is Uncle Ben, right? Um, <laughs> anyone else, it's fair game. Um, so, in one of these movies, I feel it is important to have a character sacrifice their life, and it it sticks, you know? I agree, especially, yeah, like, like if you're playing so fast and loose with the death already, with, like, time travel bringing everyone back, it you need to have the weight of having someone, not just someone who stays dead, but someone who chooses that, you know, chooses to make a sacrifice. They aren't just killed as a result of someone else's actions. Someone who has agency mm-hmm. in what happens, which which Tony yeah. does. 
um he he has and that's that's another important thing it feels like he really made that choice like he knew that it could and probably would kill him and he made that choice for the greater good once again which i i feel like the putting adding the caveat that using the stones causes great strain to the wearer was a nice addition that i don't believe was in the comics Mm -hmm. um especially not in the original run of Infinity Gauntlet. If you're going to have an all-powerful MacGuffin like that, I feel like that's a pretty good decision story-wise to add a limiter to it that not even Thanos can use it without great injury to himself, you know? Because otherwise it could be kind of unstoppable. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, Um, Okay. We'll we'll get into uh, unlimited power and uh, (laughs) its downsides. Oh, later. Um, gosh, I'm trying to think of it. Oh, Cap, we gotta Cap. we gotta talk about Cap. Um, because Who? this is another one that that people don't agree. Why on. is this controversial? Who is against this ending? Who who would who would deny this man? <laughs> who would deny this man a happy ending? I don't think it's that. Okay, I'm gonna. Um, if I could just play devil's advocate for a second, um, please. I, <laughs> Enlighten me. Let me preface this with, I don't agree with this because I like Cap's ending, but I have, I have seen people say that they, they don't, they see him going back to the past as like kind of a negation or a reversal of his growth since the first movie Um, because he had to learn to put that behind him and adapt to a new time and a new purpose. I'm going to... I know you're not saying you're playing devil's advocate. I am, yes. Cap does not have an arc. Cap, I would designate Cap as a character with a neutral arc. Cap fundamentally does not change as a person. He is a go- More or less. He is a Goku. Okay. He evolves he, he as has, we see in his encounter with his past self. But he, yes, he down ad- inside. He, he adapts to his circumstances, but he himself does not have any major emotional or interpersonal traumas or problems that he has to overcome and change right yeah. that's one of the criticisms that people have of him is that he is already a perfect boy scout from the word go mm. but neutral characters can be interesting and i think cap is a perfect example of an interesting character with a neutral arc you know he's just a good boy static, static character yeah. he's he's just a good boy trying to do his best and get back home you know cap has paid his penance he made the sacrifice play back at the end of his first movie when he crashed in the ice and he woke up 70 years later. He did that to save countless people on the Eastern Seaboard. And since then, he has done nothing but try to help others and do his level best. And no matter the cost, no matter the personal cost, no matter the stakes... And so he has earned, he has earned a happy ending. He has earned the right to return to his time and finally be with the woman he loves. I, there there is no one who could convince me otherwise of this. I don't, there is no argument anyone could make (laughs) against this that I think I would buy into. Yeah. To, to me, there was no really compelling reason for Cap to need to stay in the present time. Like, it, feel, it felt like he had fulfilled his duty. He had, he had achieved what 
in a cosmic sort of way he was sent to the future to achieve. And I, th- I don't think that there was any reason for him to need to stay there. Like, like it makes total sense that if, if the, the universe had been restored to balance or whatever, <laughs> not in the Thanos way, but in the like actual way. And, you know, there was no pressing need for him specifically to stick around. Like, why wouldn't he go back? Especially with this new opportunity afforded to him. Um, and I don't see it. I don't see it as negation of his character arc. Like, I see it more as he did his work, he put in the time, and so he he deserves to be able to go back and live the life that he didn't get to live. Like, that's how I see it. Um, and I, I don't know. I, I <laughs> It could just be that I'm a romantic and I liked that, you know, he didn't forget about her after all those years and that whole time he just wanted to get back and go on that date with her, like... I like that. I think it's sweet. I, maybe, you know, for me, it's because I, I really like the ending of the first Avenger. Like, ooh, it hits. Like, <laughs> I had a date. Yeah, like that being his last line, like in the midst of all this craziness and like in the future, in the middle of Times Square with freaking Nick Fury talking to him and telling him he's been asleep for 70 years. Like, that's the one thing he's thinking about. And I don't know. That that kind of gets me. I I... I like it. I, and you know, it, especially, <laughs> I hate to keep going back to this, but especially in lieu of the movie that we will be talking about next and, and how it ultimately ends, I really like that this one ends on such a nice, quiet, little domestic Right, it's just a scene, it's, yeah. It's a simple scene, with just Cap and Peggy dancing to some music in their house and then they kiss and fade to black I know. and roll it's, credits and that's like that's what it's all about you know like that makes it feel like like all the crazy like bombastic shit that happens it's so like people can go on living it their grounds lives. it right right it, it's like what it's really about is is people's ability to live like, the freedom to live, as the hero's journey puts it. Like, people's ability to live, people's ability to ha- be happy, to have the life they want, to be surrounded with their loved ones. Like, that's what that's what a lot of the characters sacrifice themselves for. You know, like, I, I, I agree with more of the criticisms of this one. But, like, with Natasha and Clint, like, it makes sense, I think, thematically that she sacrifices herself so that he can be with his family. Like, I know, trust me, I'm aware of the problematic undertones of being like, oh, this childless woman is disposable. Like, I, trust me, been there, talked about it. But I think it fits with the overall theme, which is that, you know, like, they, they do these heroic things, they make these sacrifices so that people can have ordinary good lives, so that they can be with their families. Um, I, I don't know. It makes sense to me, and I, like Caleb said, I like that it is grounded in that kind of emotional core. It's not just about the theatrics, it's about, you know, like, what is actually good for the world, for, for its people, which is what Thanos ultimately couldn't concern himself with. 
he was concerned with the big picture. Like, he had to align everything just the way he wanted it. Like, oh, if I just eliminate all these parts, the machine will work better. But it's not about the machine. It's about individuals. It's about people being able to live on that, like, that human level. Um, sorry, our dog is being noisy. I don't know if the mic is picking up any of that. But he sure is. I don't know. You got anything else, Caleb? I think I've said all I have to say about Avengers Endgame. I'm sure I have more to say. I just can't think of it right now. So. That's as good a place as I need to take a break. All right, guys. We'll see you in just a second for Rise of Skywalker. Hi, everyone. Justin here. Uh, if you can't tell, I'm a little under the weather. Uh, this is the best I've sounded in days. Um, so instead of your usual commercial break, I wanted to hop in and give you my opinion on these films. It's our last episode of the year, and I have uh, some thoughts on these two movies, and I didn't want to miss the conversation entirely. Um, so Endgame, uh, I thought this was a great send-off for this chapter of the MCU. Uh, I felt like it was a great celebration of everything that came before it. Um, I do think Infinity War is the better out of the two, uh, but I still really, really, really enjoy Endgame. Um, Seventy and Caleb talked a lot about it, so I'm not going to get uh, into the plot too much, excuse me, um, because I tend to agree with at least one of their takes. Uh, <laughs> um, but something I did want to talk about is um, Thor um, in this film. Someone, As someone who suffers with depression and anxiety, uh, I found Thor's storyline to be very uh, moving and inspiring. Um, now, obviously, there is a huge problem with that, and that is how the physical manifestation of that depression was handled. Um, Thor gaining all that weight to see what they were going for. Uh, I think they missed the mark, um, especially since uh, it was the butt of the joke every time it came up, you know, um, and that just that just was not cool. Um, I do think his arc as a whole is fantastic i just wish uh, that would have been handled uh differently or at least more delicately than it was um i don't have a lot of bad things to say about this movie there's obviously um some problems uh the unceremonious send-off of natasha um i get why she did it and it was a big heroic moment but i don't know it just felt a little hollow for as long as we've been uh with black widow um, it's still better than any, uh, <laughs> death that happens in Rise of Skywalker, but we'll get there. Um, I don't know what else to say about this movie, man. Uh, the last 20, 15, 20 minutes or so, uh, made me cry. I know they made Caleb cry as well. Uh, it was just so overwhelming and joyous to be sitting in the theater and see, uh, Cap catch the hammer and Spider-Man thwipping onto Mjolnir and landing on a unicorn. Like, it, <laughs> it is, uh... There's so much going on in this movie that that I love uh, that any any flaws are greatly overshadowed. Um, I think this was a great send off for this era of the MCU, and uh, honestly, I'm glad we've had kind of a year break because whatever they do next, I don't know if I'm ready for or if I'm even really excited for it. Um, now, if at the end of uh, Black Widow or Eternals or something, uh, you hear the X Men theme creep in or get a shot of some claws or something then i'll be back in um i'm pretty excited for the fantastic four though that that's pretty cool uh now on to brides of skywalker um caleb and 70 haven't given their thoughts yet and this is running long so i'm not going to take 
too much time. Uh, first and foremost, I am an OG trilogy uh, Star Wars fan. Um, I enjoy a lot that came before it. The prequels uh, I thought were fun as a kid, but I barely ever revisit them. Um, I like a lot of the stuff in the new canon. Um, Jedi Fallen Order is a fantastic game with a great story, and I really like some of the comics that Marvel has been putting out. Um, but outside of that, uh, when I think of Star Wars, it's always, always, always the original trilogy for me. It's just the way I'm wired. Um, so when the sequels came out, um, there was a few options that they had. They could have put it somewhere in the timeline that was so far removed from the original trilogy that you didn't have to worry about those, uh, characters showing up. Um, I understand why they resisted that urge because those actors are going to bring in a lot of money. Um... And since they chose to place it so close, uh, timeline-wise, to the original trilogy, uh, they had two options there. That's one, do uh, a complete series of nostalgia bait, which honestly I would have been fine with. Or two, they could have challenged the audience, let those characters grow, and uh, really play with the idea of what Star Wars can be. Uh, what we got was a series of movies that tried to do both and didn't really have the opportunity to do either of them well. Uh, the Force Awakens, of course, was nothing but a nostalgia trip, and it was fun. It was a good way to uh, bring in the new blood while still uh, having something for older fans who wanted to see Han Solo and Chewbacca run around. I know I did. Uh, yeah, it was a bummer watching Han Solo die, but you feel like it really set up something that was going to be meaningful. Uh, and then we're on to The Last Jedi, which I was admittedly uh, on the fence about at first. Uh, now it is one of my favorite Star Wars movies. As a matter of fact, it is probably uh, tied for third place with Return of the Jedi. I know it's probably a better movie than Return of the Jedi, but I can't help myself. And it really uh, did that other option. It really played with the original characters while really fleshing out um, these new characters and... I thought it was a huge step in the right direction. Um, it's what this new series needed to take legs. Uh, the scenes uh, with Luke and Yoda, and uh, there's there's so much love here. We're not talking about uh, The Last Jedi. I'm sure we will at some point, and it'll be a five-hour-long podcast. But then we get to Rise of Skywalker, and everything that had been built on in The Last Jedi uh, was thrown away because people on the internet didn't like the last jedi um and i hear you people on the internet i am a huge huge star wars purist og trilogy is my thing um but we will always have the original trilogy we will always have the comics that come out around that era uh if you're even that big of a fanboy and upset that the original eu was gone make that your head canon. all of those books and comics are still out there go read them um but what ended up happening uh, people on the internet, is you cause Disney to kill any momentum that The Last Jedi had built, and we just ended up with something that feels hollow and apologetic in the worst way. Um, I'm being extra harsh on this movie because I'm talking about it uh, in such a short amount of time, uh, but there's so few things to love. I mean, don't get me wrong, Babu Frick is a living god, um, but... I don't know, man. Um, I like Caleb and Stephanie handle the details. I'm running a little long here. Uh, just between the two movies, uh, Endgame really feels like it is elevated by the baggage of what came before. 
uh, while Rise of Skywalker is dragged down by it. And I think I'll probably set the tone for uh, the discussion my co-hosts are going to have. Um, thank you guys so much for listening. Um, have a great 2021, and we'll see you next time. Here's Caleb and Stephanie. We are um back for better or worse. I can tell you're very enthused about this, Caleb. Stephanie handles this much better than I do. And by that I mean I'm just assuming seeing this movie broke her and therefore she can just she can't feel anything about Star Wars ever again. <laughs> Whereas me, I'm just I I prefer to not give it any emotional energy. But no matter how hard I try, they keep pulling me back in. Just when you think you're out, they pull you right back in. And by they, I mean me. (laughs) I have gotten to the point where I still do get angry about it, but... I usually have to be kind of drunk and have to have been ranting about it for a while and realizing how much it still kind of hurts. Mostly now, I am able to make jokes about it and thereby mask my pain, (laughs) as we uh, very online people must do. Um, That's why I live tweeted it last night instead of taking notes. I know, that was fun. I was taking notes, but it's fine. You were live tweeting it. That's also valid. Um, so, The Rise of Skywalker. Uh, where to even... It is a movie that was released in 2019. It is indeed that, Caleb, yes. Um, it is... How about the... getting into this? <laughs> Why don't I tell the stories of the, the different, different experiences we had opening weekend? The Last Jedi, we saw opening weekend in Disney Springs. That was fun. Uh, yes. Um, packed theater. I have the proud distinction of being the person who started the woo when the first <laughs> note of the theme hits. Because, you know, that's it's tradition. Yeah, of course. You have to. It is so. Um, <laughs> and, I don't know, we had a pretty lively audience. They laughed at the jokes, we cheered a couple times, we were dead silent during the light speed uh, ramming into the the fleet. That that sound, hearing that sound in like a theater sound system will never be, like, I can't replicate that, you know? Um, It was a good time. Rise of Skywalker in theaters opening weekend... Um, we'd had a little bit to drink. We were sitting (laughs) in the top row. The only other person who was making any sound in the theater was the dude sitting immediately to my left. Like, when the first note of the theme kicks in before the opening crawl, I tried to start the woo. There was no woo. I, the energy in this theater was just dead. It's like everyone had... It's like everyone had already seen the movie somehow and knew what was going to happen. And we're just like, you know, like, I I can't give anything to this. Um, So, like, during cool moments, I'd try to, like, yeah, and there'd just be nothing. 
um, when, spoiler alert, when um, Kylo Ren says, you're a Palpatine. Me sitting in the top <laughs> row of the theater, I cupped my hands and went, boo! And Stephanie had to shush me. Yes, I did. Um, but I have no regrets. <laughs> um, it was a terrible fucking decision. It's stupid as hell. Um, <laughs> it is more fun with a lively audience, no matter how good the movie and is. the audience sucked, and that was our last chance Fine. to have, the, like, it was the finale, you know? I know. I know. I, and so it was just a shite audience and so my last good memory of a super hype audience in a movie theater will probably be Endgame which isn't a problem yeah but Rise of Skywalker versus TLJ was super disappointing I know I know yeah it, I don't know yeah I, I, with this one I oscillate between <laughs> like the various stages of grief <laughs> <I'm> like <laughs> Not even in the the usual order. Sometimes I'm mad about it. Sometimes I'm just sitting here like sad and depressed about it. Like, what the fuck? Why did why? Other times I'm like, oh well, I don't care. <laughs> like, <laughs> I just like clowning on it, making jokes, acting like it doesn't bother me. Uh, it really depends. I I'm not usually someone who gets really worked up about this stuff. Uh, like, for instance, when everyone was, like, shitting their pants over how mad they were about The Last Jedi, I was kind of like, oh, well, you guys are lame. Like, I don't know. I just thought it was funny. Like, until it started getting really bad. Like, at first I was just like, oh, no, my childhood. <laughs> and then they started, like, actually harassing people and, like, monetizing their hate campaigns. And then I was like, this is kind of fucking weird and not cool. But yeah, yeah. at first it was just funny. Uh, now I'm kind of like... I'm still kind of that way because I'll, I'll admit I'm a little irony poisoned. It's difficult for me to actually <laughs> admit if a movie makes me like genuinely sad or disappointed. Um, but this one did. Um, <laughs> I didn't go into like a depressive state about it or anything. I just kind of was like, huh, well, I don't know what the fuck that was supposed to be. <laughs> um, but... <laughs> I don't know. I've gotten to the point where I am still really angry about a lot of it, but I also can kind of laugh about it and can enjoy certain parts of the movie. You know, I guess that's the most that any of us can hope for. It collectively manages to have my favorite five minutes in the entirety of Star Wars. Yeah. And completely and totally uninterest me the rest of the time. That is how I feel, also. And that's why, like, I know a lot of people, especially in my corner of the fandom, um, like, tend to put it, like, at the bottom of all the Star Wars movies, like, below the prequels. I'm sorry, I, I, the prequels are always going to be at the bottom for me. This is no shade to prequel fans. I, I totally support you, and I, I think that hating on it is still kind of lame. But, um... I there are parts in this one that actually make me feel things, uh, like uh. Ma actually ma hold my interest for more than two seconds, which is more than I can say of the prequels. So, I I do think the prequels had original ideas, whereas this one does not. Um, An interesting question would be whether I would rather watch this or Rogue One. Caleb mm, really doesn't like Rogue One. I'm I might give it to Rogue One. I don't <laughs> know. Fair. Rogue One is actually like works as a movie, you know. It's not like I don't think it's a great movie, but it actually like could stand to call yeah. itself a movie. Whereas mm. The Rise of Skywalker is barely a movie. Mm. Um, 
Mm. So I don't know. Um, yeah, I, and that is like, that's the weird emotional journey I have with this is that like there's layers to my, my love and hate. It's like, I, I love Star Wars. Just like, I just love Star Wars in general, even though it likes to test my love frequently. Um, <laughs> and so, and this movie is, God, it is trying so hard to be the Star Warsiest Star Wars. Um, and you know, uh, yeah, th there are aspects of that I like. Um, there are also aspects of it that I find immensely grating, um, and kind of useless. <laughs> but, and like the five minutes that Caleb's talking about that I'm sure we'll get into in a little bit. Like him, that's probably my favorite five minutes in all Star Wars. Like, I actually care about what's happening on screen. A lot. And and yet, it takes so long to get to that point. And that point is so quickly kind of run away from. Like, the movie so quickly tries to run away from that point. That I just don't know how to feel. I feel frustration, I think, would be the ultimate thing. I, I, this movie frustrates me to no end. And I use that very specifically because the prequels don't even frustrate me so much as I'm just kind of like, I I really don't care. Like, I just do not care. Um, whereas this movie, I feel so frequently like if you would just slow the fuck down or take this one dumb thing out or just do or like do this one thing like there's so many small things that you could tweak and immediately make the movie better the, the, that's the thing about um a movie that is bad in a way that is particularly frustrating yes is a bad movie in which you can specifically pinpoint what could yeah. or would be done differently to improve it right and we are not filmmakers right and so when in those moments where we are we feel we are able to say this if we tweaked this it could be better it's really frustrating now imagine if we could say we said that about every scene in this movie you know yep, yep. it's frustrating right because it's like because you can see the cracks you can identify and then you wonder them. how the people making it didn't see them or didn't think that they needed to be fixed uh, right, like, I, when I watch this movie, I can see the ghost of a good movie, or at least a passable one, like, but there's so many things that just, you know what, let's, let's, let's go ahead and get into it. Um, right, Stephanie, did you take notes yes, while I, I live did. tweeted? I did, yeah, while you were gaining Twitter followers, I was uh, taking notes. I'm up to, uh, 42? 42 followers? No, no, no. 42 gained from my life oh, reading. Oh, nice. 42 followers. <laughs> um, okay. So, just right off the bat, uh, the, uh, the opening crawl. Uh, I, I wrote a little odd that the broadcast occurs off screen. In Fortnite. In Fortnite? <laughs> <laughs> it happened exclusively in Fortnite. I... I'm just not even gonna. Moving on. Uh, <laughs> I don't. I, I don't even begin to know how to address that. Um, I, this one, I like. Whatever. I don't really care. I just thought it was kind of odd that if it was something that the entire galaxy heard, that it's not like in the movie. But whatever. Whatever. Um, 
I think the opening sequence is kind of cool. I like seeing Kylo Ren kill people in slow-mo. It's kind of sexy to me. Unfortunately, this is where we get MacGuffin number one. And we have to number them because there are a few. First problem with this movie, we don't know who these dudes that he's killing are. If you care enough to go digging, you can find out. But if you're just casually watching the movie, you're going to be like, what, who, who, dudes, he's killing them? What, what is happening right now? They're the unnamed guys who guard the Sith Wayfinder or whatever the fuck. This entire first sequence with Kylo Ren, up until the moment it ends and we, we, you know, we first see Rey, feels like it should be its own like standalone short film that was released to like hype up the movie. <laughs> hmm. Maybe. It, it. Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, it, I don't know. I, I feel like there. it makes sense that a scene like that would be there. Like, the bad guys are searching for something, you know, that they're slaughtering anyone who stands in their way to get it. I, you know, that's a, that's a thing. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. I don't. It's whatever. It's just, it just happens. Um... What really, see, that part doesn't really bother me. What really bothers me is the next aspect of this whole opening sequence, which is where we get very quickly into all the weird thematic problems with this movie. And that this movie has ideas but doesn't know how to, like, fully follow up on them. Yes, that's really more what like, I Like, the to fact say. that the line that I have been every voice you have ever heard inside your head. Like, cool line. Cool, yeah. Cool execution. Yeah, doing it with all all three of them. Zero (laughs) consequence. Zero follow through. It's so mystifying. I don't know why they... Okay. I guess I understand, like, they included this because they wanted to give us the impression, like, they wanted to really hammer it in that Palpatine had been orchestrating everything the whole time, but he had a whole plan. Like, he's been manipulating things because that's what he does, and now his plan's starting to come to fruition. So it's stakes. Like, it's supposed to raise the stakes. Like, oh no, we have to stop him from achieving the final order of his plan or whatever. Um, but, but think about what this ought to mean for Ben. Right. Like, for, for Kylo Ren as he currently is. Like, this ought to be, like, an earth-shaking revelation for him. Yeah, and it's he no-sells it. He literally it. does not react. And I would, this really, like something I said, should be an earth-shattering. We need to see this man, like, we need some full-on, like, Evangelion, like, anime zoom-in, character psyche, <laughs> glass-shattering sound effects. Uh, the, yeah, especially because, he, I mean, my man's already went there with the intention of killing Palpatine. Like, he is already in the mindset I'm of, I'm gonna waste this old white man the way I to, wasted all the other old white I came here to kill an old man. <laughs> or I'm here to, uh, to chew gum, chew gum and, and kill an old man and I'm all out of gum. <laughs> right, which is how he always is. So you would think that he would continue doing that. Which we had no choice but to stand. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we love him because he wastes all these old white dudes. Um, but then suddenly he just decides not to waste this one after he says that he's been manipulating to him and essentially tricking him. Like, and of course we, 
we don't know, and I don't think the movie knows the extent to which this has happened. Like, Palpatine says, I made Snoke. You see some Snokes in a little a little lava lamp, a little tubey thing. <laughs> and that, <laughs> that is literally the extent of it. You get nothing on what that means, what that means for the characters, so, okay. what it means for the, the lore. So, like, I admire TLJ, The Last Jedi, for, like... When The Force Awakens came out, people were like, but who is Snoke? And then The Last Jedi's answer was, <laughs> it doesn't fucking matter. Um, no, it doesn't. And then, and then Rise of Skywalker attempts to address it, but then still doesn't. It addresses right? it in a way that literally only makes it, it more confusing. Yeah, so The Last Jedi is like, LOL, all of your theory crafting was for nothing. Snoke literally doesn't matter. He's dead now. Like, enjoy uh, Supreme Leader Kylo Ren. And then the Rise of Skywalker is like, oh, we're going to give you an answer as to who Supreme Leader Snoke was. And then, like, still doesn't give an answer. Like, it's... <laughs> right. And th- so much of what this movie does is answering stuff that doesn't need to be answered. Or, like, retconning stuff that didn't need to be retconned. And, yeah, so the Snoke thing, it's not so much that I'm like, oh, I need to know exactly how Palpatine was behind all this. But if you're going to draw attention to it to the point of low-key retconning something for the previous movie, you should at least have a reason for it. Like, a good reason for it that kind of makes sense for the story that the characters react appropriately to. Mm. There's none of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so speaking of not reacting appropriately... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's most of this movie. Yeah, I, no, it literally is. <laughs> None of these, they don't really act like humans. But, anyways, speaking of which, uh, so Kylo Ren not only does not slaughter Palpatine where he stands, which is out of character as Damn. far as I'm concerned, um, not only that, but Palpatine tells him to kill Rey. And this is which, why? One of the more famously weird subplots or not subplot, like plot threads of the movie mm. is whether or not Palpatine actually wants Ray dead. First he wants her dead, not. then he wants her alive. But it's it's like it's it gives the feeling that the writers don't know how to actually write a grand plan, and so they are giving you the illusion of one. That's how Palpatine that always Palpatine. Is used. Uh, tells Kylo Ren to kill Rey, and then when Rey shows up on Exegol, he's like, good, I actually wanted you alive. <laughs> right. This was all part of the plan, inscrutably, somehow. Which, to me, kind of begs the question, what if Kylo Ren actually had killed her? It and, like, still would have been part of the plan. Yeah, no, that that's the thing. Like that, Yeah, no, I think you're right. That is what writers do a lot of times. Like And almost every writer who has used Palpatine is guilty of this. Just being, like, hand-wavy, oh, it's all part of his plan, like, so you can make literally anything work that you want to do. Um, But anyways, another issue I had with this whole thing that, like, he's trying to use Kylo Ren for is that Palpatine's supposed to be this master manipulator, so he's not going to hit Kylo Ren where it hurts. Like, he's not going to specifically like, try to manipulate his feelings for Rey or something like that. He's not going to be like, hey, if you get her to join me, then together the two of you will rule my kingdom. Like, you'll be, you know, you'll be fucking together. You'll get everything you want. Wink, wink. Like And actually, like, tempting off her. I know, exactly. I mean, who wouldn't want to get with Rey? I mean, (laughs) Ren especially would. Like, and so the, the way he he manipulated Anakin. Like, he manipulated mm-hmm. Anakin's feelings for Padme and his mm-hmm. weakness in that regard. Why wouldn't he do it? Whatever. Look, the, the, 
the Jedi told him that his feelings were Padme for Padme had to be ignored and shoved down and repressed. Meanwhile, and Palpatine. like and and none of uh, Ray's friends would approve of her having feelings <laughs> for Kylo Ren. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so like it should be Right, he could have isolated them from, you know, the other people by being like, oh, I'm the only one who can help, no one else understands. They ostensibly care more about each other than their own individual, like, factions or goals. Or at least they should. Well, that would be my head headcanon, but who's to say? (laughs) Um, Yeah, and this movie can't decide the extent to which he cares about her until, of course, randomly, at the very end, they're like, oh, now now we've decided. But... Anyways, the the Palpatine stuff takes up so much of this movie, and there's just so little point to it. I I mean, for that matter, Palpatine knows that Rey wants a family. Why didn't he, if he knew that he was her grandfather, why didn't he play on that more? Like, like they should have had a connection earlier in the movie with him being like, I know your parents abandoned you, but I never would, and you can rule with me and, like, be my heir and everything. For a girl who, you know, had no family, no father figure, you would think... Anyway, um, <laughs> I guess he was too ugly to be, like, her father figure or something. Uh, whatever. Uh, so we move on, blah, blah, blah. Ray's training so that fanboys can be, uh, have their feelings assuaged. <laughs> the sequence. I had multiple tweets about this sequence. Mm. Okay. First, Ray says... Maybe one day I'll be worthy of, or I be worthy of your brother's saber, or whatever the actual line is. Um, yeah, after she's already reforged it. Oh, one day I'll earn your brother's saber. Okay. This specific lightsaber already chose Ray twice in the Force Awakens, J.J. Abrams' own movie. I know. First, she, the, the, she had visions that were linked directly to the lightsaber that led her to the lightsaber. And then, in the final fight, the lightsaber chose her over Kylo Ren. Okay? Or the Force chose her over Kylo Ren. Okay? She has already earned it. The saber chose her twice in his own movie. And now he's like, ooh, ooh, ooh fanboys, I'm sorry. Maybe one day I'll be, I won't be a Mary Sue anymore and I can use the big boy white saber. <laughs> Like, the the fact, the, the way that she actually, ha- it feels like she has to, like, ask permission from Leia to use the lightsaber when she goes and runs that this training sit, course. That sit right with me at all. It's so gross. I know. I hate it. It feels like, yeah, it feels like I'm, I'm on a meta level, like, asking the fandom to accept her. Right, saying, oh, Miss Leia, can I please use the big boy lightsaber <laughs> to go practice? <laughs> well, the, the, the big thing that everyone has always bitched about with Rey is that, now, I'm, I'm once again, I'm just saying what other people say. I don't agree with this. They think that everything comes too easy for her, that she doesn't have to struggle enough. The, that, I will tell you why that is. Because men don't fucking understand internal struggle. At least not for a woman. Like, for a female character. Their whole thing is like, oh, she didn't have to train hard enough. She didn't have to, like, fight enough, like, training droids or some shit like that. She didn't have to run enough obstacle courses. That that was never the point of Ray's character. The point was that, like, think of Luke, for instance. Luke was already pretty emotionally stable and didn't have a lot of really heavy baggage. Like, he wants to know who his father is, but he's a pretty well-adjusted kid who had a good life growing up. What he wants is adventure. 
it makes sense for the more like physical training aspects to be something he struggles with because he already has that nice foundation emotionally. But like Ray doesn't have that. So it's kind of the inverse for her. Like she is good at stuff physically. Yeah, she's strong with the force. She can do that stuff. But she's not she's not yet strong emotionally. She doesn't she doesn't have it all together. She doesn't mm. fully believe in herself. You know, now that you mentioned that, it made me uh, something just occurred to me. So the way the day is won in A New Hope is Luke uses his strength. Luke already has experience uh, with some flying experience and piloting and um, you know shooting things while in motion, and that's how he ends up saving the day in the end. It's not in a lightsaber battle, but using his piloting and his shooting skills with a little help from the Force. Okay. At the end of The Force Awakens, like. We know from the beginning of the movie that Rey is already a skilled hand-to-hand com- combatant. Right. Luke was not. Her and point so, was not and to then get better she, at that. How does she win the day? With using her strengths, relying on her strengths, hand-to-hand combat, with a little help from the Force. Right. Right. Yeah. It's so she she won exactly as much as like Luke did with either of them having like no additional training. Right. right. The first one's just no, supposed right. to be relying on your strengths. And then the right. second one is where you, both of our heroes get some training and then leave their their training early because they're impatient or they think that they know better than their masters. Mm-hmm. Um Right. And we don't see Luke training in the third one. I mean, we he goes back to speak to Yoda, but that's more in the sense of like visiting your parents after you've moved out like it's not you know the very different dynamic there and i don't know with ray it just feels like in the third one they're trying to make up for lost time or supposedly lost time trying to convince people oh it's okay look she's still having to struggle to learn to be a good jedi and it's like but learning to be a good Jedi isn't about running an obstacle course at least not in these movies (laughs) and Mm. Oh, okay. Then the way that she she uh, struggles against the, the, the little training droid, the little the floating thing that Luke fought on the Falcon, mm. um, and then she just, like, rages and just gets angry and bashes her head against a wall just trying to overpower it instead of, like, the proper lesson for a Jedi to be to, you know, stop, breathe. Reach out with your feelings. There could have been a good arc there. There could have, because that gets picked up a little bit later, right? When Palpatine tells her to, like, use her hatred, and she says, you can't make me hate, which feels like the culmination to an arc that That we never... It was not resolved. There was no arc. It's just, she's angry against the training droid. She's angry when she's fighting Kylo Ren, but then suddenly she won't be angry when she's fighting Palpatine. Yeah. There was never a resolution. There were two setups, and then... Right, right. The the pieces are there. Like, that's the thing. This movie has the pieces for an arc of Rey, like, struggling with hate, struggling with the dark side. It just doesn't know how to we bring never them address together. It. Yeah. The, the two times that it happens, it, they feel like coincidences. Right, the two times that she like gives into her anger when she's fighting against the training droid and when she stabs Kylo Ren feel like afterthoughts. Like it just happens and the audience isn't actually supposed to um address that or the audience isn't supposed to feel that as her giving into her anger. It's just, you know, something else happening in the movie. Yeah, right. It's not it a do- bad thing. It doesn't help that 
you know, a lot of the audience wants her to stab Kylo Ren. We don't, but a lot of people do. And given the fact that it's during a fight makes it not really look like she's doing anything bad. I mean, granted, he was distracted and like he, she takes his weapon to stab him with, but it's still like kind of in the heat of battle. So it's, it's hard to view that as an explicit, oh, she's really giving in to the dark side here. Um, same thing with the training droid. I, I don't know. I just feel like I, like, as with a lot of things in this movie, I see what they're trying to go for. I just don't think it comes together very well. Nope. Um, which will be a recurring theme. Anyway, it, the, uh, CGI Leia, okay, not C- Grody. Uh, <sighs> Creepy. She's not CGI. She's, she's B-roll Leia or whatever. It. I just don't like how this is done in this movie. And I know this is kind of a sensitive topic. It, Like, I totally understand that they weren't exactly sure what to do when Carrie Fisher passed. Like, I completely understand that. She clearly was meant to be a pivotal character. And I'm pretty sure they revealed at some point that she was supposed to have a reunion scene with Ben like she had with Luke. Or at least supposed to have some kind of a scene shared with him. Damn. Um, yeah, that... But, um, I, and I, so I totally understand how they didn't know what to do when, when they lost her, but I just don't think this was the right thing to no. do. Like, I, I have been saying since her passing that the Rise of Skywalker should have opened with, like, Leia's funeral. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. And that would set the stakes even higher. Like, they've just lost their leader. That would perfectly open for, uh, for Finn or Poe to, like, step in and fill that role and have to rise to that occasion. Like... And not to mention Ben and what kind of, like, wild emotional frenzy that would set him into, probably. Like, I just, yeah, I, I, I don't think, I think there were a few options, none of them ideal for what to do here. I just think they picked a not very good one. Because what they ended up doing, as I'm, I'm sure most of you listening to this know, is they just Frankensteined in, like, various um, unused bits of footage from her from the previous two movies. And, um... And the worst part about it, it's not even how it looks. It doesn't, it honestly doesn't look that bad, um, unless you're, like, really looking at it. What is bad, though, is the dialogue and how it's very Always obviously... trust a droid. It's just, it's... It doesn't make sense because they tried so hard to cobble it together with plot-relevant stuff that it, it does not... When it's clearly stuff she was saying in completely different contexts, like, it... It doesn't work. It doesn't work. And that's why I think, while I appreciate that they kind of tried to have her in that mentor role for Rey, which I I would have loved to see if things had gone differently. Like, I don't have a problem with that, but the way they try to have her there, it I don't think it works. My argument, like I said to Caleb, is that it either should have begun with her funeral or they should have had her in exactly one scene after everything's already won and, like, Ben gets redeemed, and you see her, like, hug him, or you see them, like, see each other, and she smiles. Something, like, something nice and emotionally resonant that doesn't require talking. Like, the <laughs> but clearly, uh, that was not as important as her telling Ray about droids. Um, anyway, moving on. Uh... <laughs> So, let's see. So, there's a lot going on after this that we don't need to get into, frankly. No, otherwise we'll be here all night. Because it's just MacGuffin fetch quest shit that doesn't matter. Ugh. Um. <laughs> yeah, uh. 
like literally a lot of this movie is is this. Look, Endgame also managed to be about fetching MacGuffins, but not wasn't tedious about it. Like as soon as Rise of Skywalker becomes, we need to chase down the MacGuffins. I'm like, uh, <laughs> I don't care. Yeah, the only part of all of this that I like are, uh, I kind of like the Ray and Kylo parts, even though. Even those, it's a little funny to me how how they tried to like de-sexy them as much as possible. Oh, from absolutely! <laughs> this this movie is one hundred percent sexless. It's awful. All, literally, the only sexiness that ever happens is just Adam Driver existing and like just kind of exuding it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the movie isn't letting him actively do anything and god knows it's not letting their nice little heroine do anything um that could be considered a little sexy um they <laughs> uh like for instance <laughs> the part when he takes the necklace like he like rips off her necklace like the way that he is rips shot, it from her chest it could a, that be... could have been a little like, oh what? like it's shot so quickly like it is literally when i saw it in the theater i had to learn afterward that it had happened because i like blinked and i missed I know. it i know it would have been sexier if it was in a pirates of the caribbean movie all right like <laughs> yeah, yeah my man's jerry bruckheimer knows how to do sexy you know what jj abrams knows how to do sexy you put a woman in her underwear and shoot it from below yep, yep. and she goes like excuse me Mm-hmm. What are you doing? Uh, <laughs> we saw a, a lady a step in camera. <laughs> a step camera. What are you doing? Oh my god. Um, yeah, it's it feel well. And the thing is, what makes a movie sexy a lot of times is the implication. <laughs> I, well, sort. I was gonna say like, kind of like intimacy and tension, and mm. those are things that this movie has in very short supply. Um, yeah, like. It, you need to feel that the characters are close but can't get too close. Like for one thing, that mm. that is a that makes for sexy. Like, and that's why a lot of stuff in the Last Jedi is sexy. Right. As soon as they touched hands, guess what? Their world exploded. <laughs> when you're like, so repressed, you just touch hands and touch hands and boom, just in my pants. <laughs> oh my God. Um. That well, yeah, and that's the thing. Like it. So a lot of just the physicality is odd. Like I, I also come back to this is skipping way forward, but the part where she heals him after she stabbed him, that's that so sexless. That could have been a really like I don't even want to say I, sexy. I want to say like intimate moment. Like she, but she's kind of kneeling to the side of him, and she kind of like reaches the, to the side. The wounded soldier fantasy obviously <laughs> means we're moments away from doing it. There is our requisite community <laughs> reference. <laughs> uh, now that I've repaired your overworked torso with my trembling feminine fingers, I, please, it's the exact. <laughs> it's that. Exa- it's the paint. It's that scene from the paintball episode oh, of Community, but God. but with zero sexual tension. <sighs> Well, right, and I kept imagining, like, okay, what if she was, like, kind of, like, kneeling between his legs or something like that? Like, she's, like, right in front of him. Like, their faces are close together. She's, like, the, her hand is the only thing between them. That could have been, I don't know. <laughs> Look, <laughs> we're talking about the same it. movie in which Ray tells us that she had a vision in which <laughs> Kylo Ren was sitting on the throne of the Sith, and she was with him, like, chilling on his lap and like the movie doesn't have the balls to show us that sexy vision no no caleb technically maybe she wasn't chilling on his lap maybe it was just a really big throw and they were and both she, sitting on it next yeah to or each she was other. just standing next to it or something <laughs> no 
No. He's he's sitting on the throne like man spreading, and you know she's there like being sexy. She has Sith her kitten. like legs uh, propped up on the on the armrest or something. Yeah, and she's got cat eyes. <laughs> oh and... my god! Please, Caleb, I would read your fanfic, um, <laughs> or 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 uh, see your fan art. Um, that's that's the problem though. Like I said, like all jokes aside, intimacy is in short supply in this movie, and that's something that was was really needed um i don't know just like even on like a non-sexual level just characters connecting with each other emotionally feels like something that doesn't happen a lot like there is that one part like where ray briefly like speaks to finn and like actually feels like it's approaching some emotional poignancy because she's like confessing that she's afraid like saying that no one understands her he's trying to be a good friend but is clearly in over his head like that could have been a sweet moment and almost was especially compared to like all the you know the sound and fury around it but um but it doesn't it lasts like 10 seconds you know it's not given long enough to stick and that's an important point about this movie is that anytime anything important happens or anything emotional happens, we are not given enough time for right. it to stick. Exactly. The moment something happens, you do not even get a chance to breathe and to feel it for a moment before we are on to the next bombastic yeah. thing. There is no room to breathe. And this movie desperately needs that. It feels like it was edited by people on a cocaine binge. Like... <laughs> And of the fun kind. It's 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 a little nutty the way that it just never slows down or lets up. Yes, I think that once again, so much could have been salvaged here. If it was slowed down a little, characters were allowed to connect with each other and allowed to actually talk about stuff. Ben dies and then Ray flies smiling back to the resistance base and hugs her friends, smiling, happy-go-lucky, not even any sense of sadness in her face. I think I will push back on that slightly. Now, this is n by no means an agreed-upon interpretation by everyone, but I think she looks a little sad in that scene. I, or I think she looks a little shell-shocked. Like, she has that kind of, like, she still has blood on her face. I think that it's meant to be she's still a little, like, shaken. If she looks shell-shocked, I don't think it's an intentional choice. <laughs> I think it's just because Daisy Ridley, like, probably didn't know how to play the scene. <laughs> like That was just her confusion showing on her face. Like, please, I don't know what to do here. Yeah. Um, she's just doing whatever JJ says and going, oh, yeah, yeah, cool, yeah, yeah, yeah okay, uh-huh. <laughs> oh, my God. No, I... I don't know. I think there was a little bit of sadness in that scene. Now, granted, I'm not sure that that was on that that is due to J.J. Abrams. It might have just been the actors. I, I, just, I don't think it was enough. No, it's not. We're talking about literal, actual, defined soulmates. And one of the soulmates in the pairing dies. And the other one is just kind of nothing about it. Well, Caleb, don't you remember the end of Romeo and Juliet when uh, Juliet woke up and found Romeo dead and then just kind of was like, bro, that sucks, and walked out and, like, reunited with her family and everything was cool? I'm gonna... <laughs> I, I'm, I'm gonna blow a, a fucking gasket. I'm gonna... I'm... <laughs> It's 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 an inability to engage with with emotion, an inability there's, to engage with. There's intimacy. no sincerity. 
Yeah, no, I think that's a good way of putting it's, it. It's, it's, this movie feels like, to go back to Marvel, Infinity War and Endgame, Infinity War is especially guilty of this, where there are, any time there are any moments of emotional sincerity, we have to undercut it with a joke. It's basically Now, Star Wars does not use jokes to undercut it. We just, this, Rise of it Skywalker just does not address it. undercut it. It just yeah. does not address it. Yeah. Now, I didn't mention this during Endgame. One of my least favorite parts in Infinity War is when Gamora is making her boyfriend promise to kill her if she's in a position where her father could, like, potentially, you know, torture her, extract information from her, and he, like, he promises her, and then it's immediately undercut with that stupid, (laughs) stupid joke about Drax moving too slowly for the human eye to see so that he's invisible. Like... It is so jarring. Yeah. Okay, now that I've done bitching about that, because I didn't get that out in the first half, Star Wars just doesn't even bother with that. We It, it moves, it's as if we move from Quill promising that he'll kill his girlfriend to just whatever Quill just next. being like walking down the street like Peter Parker in Spider-Man 3 <laughs> just doing a dance, you know. Well, and I think that, I, I will say, I think that is something that Star Wars has always struggled with a little bit is, like, how to achieve, like, really, those really poignant moments. Because Star Wars is usually so plot-heavy, and just going from one thing to the next, like, and usually not as two people standing and talking to each other heavy, unless it's the prequels, which, that's a whole different thing. But uh, I think this movie is kind of just the, unfortunately, like, the the summation of that, <laughs> the natural end result of that. Um it's just, it all comes down to what the director's interested in. And you can tell. In The Last Jedi, you can tell what Ryan Johnson is interested in focusing on and what he's not. And you can also tell in Rise of Skywalker. Like, it's obvious that Ryan Johnson really wanted characters to have difficult conversations. And really wanted them to, like, get in there and hash that shit out. Which, I mean, that's the whole point of dialogue. So I think the dialogue is used really well. Like, um, whereas in Rise of Skywalker, you can tell that the the main thing they're going for there is is moving the plot forward is you know paying to put it in as neutral terms as possible paying tribute to star wars like as a concept i which i think is kind of where we're at in this era of star wars storytelling i don't like it personally that's all we're doing now yeah I, okay season one of mandalorian almost had me I haven't even watched, I have seen every episode of season one except for the finale. And you know what? The finale of season one is where they started to lose me because it was an indicator of where they were going to go with season two. Spoilers for the Mandalorian following. He removes his helmet in the finale and also gets a dark blade. What is a dark blade? It's a reference to the Clone Wars. Well, he doesn't get... He, someone, someone uses has, a dark yeah. blade, okay? Someone uses a dark <laughs> blade, which is a reference to yes. what, Stephanie? The Clone the, Wars. Yeah. And then every spoiler I have heard about season two has been what, Stephanie? A reference to the <sighs> yeah. Clone Wars. Well, yeah. It's, it's, it's got Dave Filoni all over it. Star Wars is literally just... It's all about referencing itself now. What were half of the series that were announced at the, the big investor meeting recently spin-offs of the clone wars okay it's star wars is just ouroboros it's just 
it's 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 a snake sucking its own dick in an infinite circle. <laughs> right. Right. I just and I don't and I I mean this with sincerity because I love Star Wars and what's more I've loved it since I was a kid. I'm not even one of the people who just got into it because they liked the sequel trilogy. I I've always been into it, but I just do not like the self-referential uh, Ouroboros like thing that it has become. I just don't care about that. I I've seen the old stuff. I've seen the middle stuff. I've seen the new stuff. I've seen all of it. I just don't feel that it needs to be rehashed over and over again. I want something new because it's a great universe. Like the like so many aspects of it are so cool and there's so much that can be done with it. And I I want to see that. And with the Mandalorian, I This isn't a Mandalorian episode. We we won't get into it, but I really thought that it was going to go in an interesting new direction. And I think the first season did. Um I thought it was a nice balance between kind of the uh, nostalgia greatest hits stuff and like the new stuff. But the second season it it, it feels I don't know. It feels reactionary. It feels like they're mm. very much responding to all the, you know, sad little Gen X fanboys who are mad that it wasn't still catering to them. Ugh. <sighs> you know? Ugh. Gen X fanboys are my fucking... I know. They're the bane of my existence. They're the people whose favorite Batman movie is Batman Returns. If you're listening to this and your favorite Batman movie is Batman Returns, I'm sorry. <laughs> Okay, I that's mean, not that's <laughs> different. That's not inherently no, no, a bad thing. No, there, I guarantee you, there, there's a the Venn diagram <laughs> of people who are angry about TLJ and whose favorite Batman movie is Batman Returns <laughs> is probably pretty close to a circle. Okay, <laughs> I'm not I'm not involved enough in the the Batman movie fandom. <laughs> uh, I, I don't, I, especially not like the Tim Burton Batman movie fandom. Um, but y- yes, it, it is clear. That Rise of Skywalker and the second season of Mandalorian are catering to a lot of the same people, um, and I'm not those people. And I realize that they're not—they're not catering to me. They're not trying to. Right, Star Wars is trying to cater to a specific vocal audience. Oh know? yes, they are nothing if not vocal, um, and willing to monetize hate campaigns. But that's none of my business. Um, anyway, so <laughs> let's move on to talking about the movie. Uh, so. In the midst of all this fetch quest bullshit that I don't care about, there is pretty much like one scene that I like, and oh, that is what's that? the worm, the sneaky the snake, worm. the serpent. Um, feels like it feels like a like a sign. samurai jack episode. It does very much so. Well, it's very uh, it's Androclus and the lion, um, sort of. Now, not exactly the same because to bring that to to really complete that. Uh, parallel, the worm would then have to help her in some way, but it helps her by not killing her, so that's cool. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I like this because it's a moment that actually feels more like, oh, here's Rey as a character coming out, uh, while also introducing us to this cool little force power, which comes back with a vengeance later. Um, and that is, you know, like, and also, I, I don't know, I like worms and snakes and things that crawl around on their bellies, so I like this thing. Um, so, I don't know, I like that there's this horrible, menacing alien, and 
then she realizes, like, in classic, like, horse girl <laughs> fashion, uh, she's like, oh, it's just hurt. <laughs> That's why it's lashing out. <laughs> it's okay. I'm great with animals. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> she said with no evidence to back up that fact. <laughs> no, I could I could totally see Ray being, like, a horse girl or, like, like an animal girl in general. She's, like, a nature girl. Um, and so she, heal, she heals the worm. It's all good. The worm leaves them alone. All this is cool because it takes place in kind of this mysterious underground lair. Um, and, of course, Finn and Poe and C-3PO are also there kind of being annoying and just, like, saying shit. Finn's okay. He's not really being annoying. I will, give, I will give uh, one one kudo to this movie. Um, when they first find themselves underground in the, the, the warren of tunnels... And um, Ray oh, turns on the lightsaber oh, to use it as a flashlight, and then like Poe pulls out an actual flashlight, and it's nowhere near as bright. <laughs> and Ray walks away, and Poe's just kind of like, <sighs> like that's a that pretty funny pretty gag. Funny, yes. That's a good gag. That was. I'll give them that much. Yeah, oftentimes it feels like this movie doesn't know what to do with Poe besides making him the quippy guy, the the, the quippy guy, um, and then randomly. Like, hey, he used to be a drug runner for some reason. Oh, we'll get to that. Yeah. I'm not going to spend much time on it, but we'll get to that. Yeah. Um, but Back anyway. to the worm. <laughs> Back to the worm, yeah. Uh, but I don't know. It's cool. And I do appreciate, I guess, well, credit where credit is due. I like the little character dynamics here. Of, if I'm remembering correctly, Poe's like, oh, shit, we got to kill this thing. And Finn's like, can you just give her a minute? Like, just wait, because he knows Ray a little bit better. Mm. And, like, is kind of the kind of the medium point between them. Because Ray and Poe don't really like each other, which is fine with me. I, I think, like, that's a dynamic that makes sense. I just don't like that it's not really resolved at all. And then she, like, hugs him at the end. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, I guess we're fine now. I, sure. Um, but anyway, so, yeah, she uses her healing power. Oh, gosh, what happens? Yeah, yeah, they go up to the surface, um, the First Order attacks. First Order, Kylo Ren, we jump over the ship, we think we killed Chewbacca, but he's not dead, because that's another problem this movie has, and, like, being like, oh, no, this person from the original trilogy is dead, but then they're not dead, yeah. because there are no stakes in this movie. Until... <laughs> yeah, the only person who stays dead is Ben Solo. And, um... Leia, technically. Yes. She does kind of appear she, as a Yeah, she comes back end. as a Force ghost, so... Which Ben, don't ben doesn't. Ben doesn't! Despite also being absorbed into the Force. Yep. yep. We couldn't distract from the twin zest. Um. No, 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 no. We couldn't distract from... What's it called? Huh? What's their ship name? Oh, Lu just Luke Leia. That, that's it? That they don't have, like, a, oh, a ship name. Darn. Anyway, so, yeah, that stuff happens. We think Chewie's dead. Um, uh, but but then he's not dead. Um, then, uh, you know, obviously Ray's, like, a little shaken up because uh, she thinks she killed her friend. A <laughs> little thing like that. Um, gosh, what do they do after that? Uh, isn't that when <sighs> they go... Say? Oh, there's they at the at some point they meet Lando. Oh, you're um, right. That's when they have the dagger. They met Lando before this. Oh yeah, the dagger. Because he was at the festival. Blah blah yeah. blah. Remember Lando Calrissian? <laughs> um, I remember. We we have the dagger. Uh, we're back at the base. We gotta go to the plant, the Kijimi, 
yeah. to violate C-3PO. Poor C-3PO. He, um, he gets treated like dirt, as usual. He does. He's like, that would be highly invasive, blah, blah, blah. And Poe's like, cool, let's go do it. Um, Poe is so mean in this movie. <laughs> it's, I feel bad. I feel a little bad for 3PO because he's like, that is highly disrespectful and invasive. And they're like, cool, let's go violate let's our friend. Let's just um, do it because he's annoying, so it's okay. Right. He's he's the the <laughs> Ger- Gary Gergich of this yeah. universe. Um, <laughs> now, that being said. Okay, so we get to Kajimi. Uh, we meet Carrie Russell, which, like, why would you keep her in a helmet i know she's beautiful she's a great actress one of the best actresses in the business and her eyes are hidden for all but like 30 seconds in this entire movie um her voice is pretty sexy though i I like her her voice acting i've been a fan of carrie russell for a long time (laughs) um we also meet babu frick who can do no wrong in my book? <laughs> we we are Babu um, stands. We are Babu stands. <laughs> Babu stands. <laughs> I want to pay him to ride around on my shoulder and go, hey! <laughs> <laughs> right. He 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 livens, uh, livens up the scene a little bit because it's otherwise could be kind of dry and a little depressing given once again what they're doing to three PO. But <laughs> but that's okay. There are no consequences because he is immediately revitalized. He's immediately like two fine. scenes later, and it's just like a joke. He's like he doesn't have his memories, but he still has his personality. So he's like, "Oh, Babu Frick, my oldest friend." Or yeah, that is pretty is funny. funny yeah. But then two scenes later, he has all his memories back. Oh, so it's okay. Lord. All of the the the, oh, the 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 stakes were literally non-existent. Very little can stick in this movie. Um, stick and move. Stick and move. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but Babu Frick is fun. We we like him. Um. And, uh, yeah, Kajimi, I, I guess that kind of, I guess you could say an important thing about Kajimi is that you do see that child soldiers are being conscripted, which is, you know, that's one way to raise the stakes is being like, hey, child soldiers, of course, it doesn't really help that that isn't really addressed in terms of the stormtroopers that already exist, but... I just remembered something we need to address. What's that? Poe's backstory. There is a scene earlier in the movie where Poe hotwires a speeder and Finn is like all suspicious like, how do you know how to do that? Like Finn would like, care. Like Finn would fucking care. He would not like, care. We are on the run from the First Order. There are a bunch of stormtroopers chasing us. Why would you stop in that moment to question? Also, he's an experienced pilot. Yeah, It makes sense to me that you would know. And then, but no, like... Finn holds a fucking grudge about this. this. Is so like weird. he literally care. brings it up multiple times in other scenes. Like, oh, I haven't forgotten about what you did. I know you got a, you got, you got some sort of sketchy past. And then like he's proven right. Like, it's so dumb. I don't care if a member of the 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 resistance who are a scrappy group of rebels. Yeah, they're already kind of outside the law here. Yeah, exactly. Nobody would question their ace pilot knowing how to hotwire a speeder. What is this plot point? I don't know. It's dumb. It's weird. Uh, And I'm, I guess, as with a lot of things in this movie, I look at it from the perspective of trying to figure out why it's there. Like, why did they go with this? I guess they're, okay, maybe they're trying to make him more interesting as a character. I, maybe they're trying to do a little bit of, like, 
hey, anybody can become a better person despite having a sketchy past as, like, a foreshadowing for Ben. It's very different situation, but, like, mm. I don't know. I really don't. Or, okay, it... And overall... In, an overall theme, in so much as this movie can be accused of having theme <laughs> um, of, of the movie, is that, like, despite whatever that fucking Pokemon quote is, the circumstances of what's worth or relevant is, I don't know, I'm not a Pokemon person, I don't fucking know. Yeah, what is Stephanie it? Stephanie quoting Pokemon the I first know. movie. Well, I see now the it. circumstances of one's birth are irrelevant. It is what one does with the gift of life. That Yeah, I've seen it on fucking Tumblr so many times. God damn. I... Yeah, that one. It's this... In so much as this movie has a theme, that feels like the one. Like, that it is trying to say... You know, even if you have a bad past or even if you come from a bad family or a bad background, whatever, you can still rise above it. You can still make your own path. You can still become better, which isn't a bad theme. I just I, I question how well it's executed. And honestly, with Poe, I feel like it wasn't really needed. Like, w- no, we have Finn coming from being a child soldier who was raised in the First Order. We have Ray like, being abandoned by her parents and, like, growing up having to raise herself and struggling with the dark side and all that trauma. And we have been, you know, dealing with the weird split legacies and all the manipulation his entire life. Like, we didn't need to add a weird drug-running backstory. I needed this subplot as much as I needed a Han Solo backstory movie. (laughs) Woof. Which is to say, I didn't. Yeah. No. Um... But you know it's it's there. So uh, anyway, uh, God, what happens after this? Uh, th- then they go to um, Jana Planet, Planet Jana, Planet Jana, Planet Janet. They go to Endor. Uh, is it Endor? They go to a moon of Endor. The way I don't even I don't even fucking know. The um, second Death Star crashed on a moon of Endor. Yeah. Um. Okay, so they go there, and uh, to get immediately back into bitching, because I know you guys haven't heard enough of that yet, um, Jana and her team, I, this is the beginning of something, but it feels like not the middle or end of it. <laughs> um, it's, you know, it the, the stormtroopers can be saved. They can see the light, so kill as many of them as possible, and hope the ones that you didn't kill come around. Yep, and we're never going to address this ever again. <laughs> yep, yep. Um, the ones who were already going to turn good have already turned. Yeah, that I really don't like how this movie kind of strongly implies that Janna and her um, crew. Yeah, her cohorts, squadron, something. Yes, <laughs> Janna and her group collectively turned because they felt it through the force now i wouldn't mind that as much if it wasn't a pretty well established fact that in the star wars universe not everyone can actually sense the force also the force is the force is a balance i the last jedi that whole sequence cold warmth life death in between it all a balance and then in this movie, it's saying like, "Oh, there's 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 
definitely a good side. There's definitely a good side. De- de- definitely good guys. And then the the people who can be good are it's 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 Calvinism, but for Star Wars. Oh my god, those are the worst words I've ever heard. <laughs> right, but and it it seems to kind of fly in the face of what the theme is supposed to be, which the is that circumstances you can choose, of one's birth. Yeah, that you can choose your own path. Like it doesn't always feel in like, motion. The future is. Yeah, it doesn't feel like they chose it. It feels like the Force chose it for them. Which is stuff as something that happens in Star Wars, but I don't feel like that's what they're trying to say here. I don't know. It's it's a lot. Um, let's 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 keep it moving. Let's mo- um, yeah. There's uh this is when Ray's story starts to get at least a little bit interesting again because Kylo's in it. Um, <laughs> sorry. Uh, so she takes off towards the Death Star ruins. Um, oh fuck. I completely forgot the entire sequence where they go on that um, that First Order ship, um, and there's all that dumb stuff about Hux being the spy, and, um... And you mean the sequence where she's literally in Ben's bedroom, but it is just the least sexy thing yeah, ever? Yeah, you can't even see a bed. Like, like you can't no. see a bed, you can't see a shower, you can't see anything that could be remotely construed as not just sexy, but just, like, a person lives here. Um, <laughs> that was pretty funny. Like, he calls it his quarters, but it looks, like, at best, like, a museum lobby. Um, Where the central display is, like, Darth Vader's fucked up helmet. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, it, if I was directing the movie and I was going to have her go in his quarters, I would have her be, like, all, like, uncomfortably noticing a bed in the background, uncomfortably seeing, like, his personal things, like, like, oh gosh, like... The, like I'm peering into his soul and I shouldn't be or some some stuff like that like I don't know maybe I see a freaking like he still has a toy from when he was a kid or like something like that like oh god this is too much this is too intimate I don't know what to do with this information you know that would have been cool but whatever um <laughs> anyway that's that's not why we're here um anyway that's part of the reason we're here the- <laughs> That's true. The whole point of this is that this is where the whole freaking Ray's parents thing gets revealed, which Ray's parents <laughs> and her Palpatine ancestry. Dum 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 dum. Yeah, it, this is like this is kind of getting to the heart of my complaints about this movie. Um, Go on, Stephanie. Fucking the thing with Ray's parents, I. I don't even know where to begin. I just hate it so much. It. I hate... I don't even just hate that she's a Palpatine. I honestly am a little whatever about that. Like, I'm okay with it. It's not what I would have picked personally, but, you know, the the concept of her being, like, born from the dark side, whatever. I guess it's okay. Um, it's kind of an interesting mirror to Kylo Ren comes from the light, so, you know, on paper... You know, powerful it... light, powerful darkness, whatever. Um... I don't have a problem with that. I do have a problem with Ray's parents being, and I am going to boldly use this word here, retconned to be, like, not only are they somebody's, quote unquote, but they are good, nice, chill, wonderful, heroic people who sold her to protect her, which worst sentence ever <laughs> the the fact that ben that kylo ren right here is pulling a so what i told you was true from a certain point of view which 
I hated that line in the original trilogy. Yeah, no, let's not give it a pass there either. I hate it now. It's bad. It should be done differently. Right, because it's... The whole reason that line even exists is because George Lucas didn't, like, plan ahead of time, which is fine. Obviously, it still turned out okay, but, like... Po- hey, Pobody's nerfed, right? <laughs> but Obi-Wan... Shut up. <laughs> Obi-Wan's saying that is clearly just because they didn't work out ahead of time. Like, they didn't plan to have Obi-Wan de- deliberately twist the truth. Like... So they then had to have him kind of apologize for it and be like, oh, well, it was just from a certain point of view I was telling the truth. Whatever. Anyway, so that's the same thing here. That's some Jedi wishy-washy bullshit. Yeah, no, exactly. It's it's bad. They couldn't even just say, I I lied to try and protect you. I'm sorry. I was wrong. It's no, from a certain point of view. That's how we got Darth Vader, all right? (laughs) Yeah. I'm I'm Stephanie. I'm done. Stephanie, continue. It's okay. It's okay. So Kylo's like, I never lied to you, Ray. And I'm like, this doesn't even make sense on a character level. It doesn't make sense why he would say... Well, first of all, no, he literally didn't lie to her. Because if, if you ever watched The Last Jedi like and actually paid attention, she's the one who says her parents were nobody. Like, it it has nothing to do with him lying or telling the truth. Because he doesn't tell her. She, she, she says it. Whatever. Anyway, um, so there's this dumb bullshit. Um... So, it's fun, like, even, once again, I don't necessarily have a problem with her father apparently being Palpatine's son or Palpatine's clone or whatever the fuck they're saying is canon now. That's not so much what I have a problem with, but I do have a problem with the movie bending over backwards to make sure we know they were good people who loved her. Because it's like, it feels like it undercuts her trauma. It's like, what are, is she supposed to just be like, oh, it was okay that I grew up alone as like a a five-year-old? like, on a desert planet, um, and that I had to, like, work every day, like, even as a child to stay alive, but it's okay because, because they were actually just doing it for my own good, like. I need you to bring up the point about, uh, her family being dead and then her adoptive family also being dead so I can make my horrible, uh, HP analogy. (laughs) Thank you. Yep, yep, and and of course all that leads to the thing that I probably bitch about in regards to this movie more than anything else because it just completely baffles me, is that so the movie bends over backwards to make sure we know that Ray's parents were were good actually TM, um, but then at the end, spoiler alert, has her take the Skywalker name like literally proclaims herself Ray Skywalker when she knows she's descended from the Palpatines fucking sitcom ass <laughs> family name well, anyway tune in at 8 7 central for the palpatines it's a show about nothing <laughs> yeah tell me about it um but anyways so even though she apparently knows now that her parents were good people she still goes and takes the skywalker name but why well, you might say, because the Skywalkers were her found family. You know, they, like, helped her out and everything. And that's cool. But you know what they also are? Is fucking dead. Oh, and you know what her original family also is? Is dead. And so, basically, my problem here is that she is exchanging one good, dead family for another family. 
that is good and also dead. She literally is gaining nothing from, like, adopting that name, so I don't understand why it's done. Like, it kind of feels like a slap in the face to her her good dead parents. Like, <laughs> like I know you guys were cool, but screw you. I want to be part of another family. Her parents were good and dead. To begin with. <laughs> not, not to be one of those Tumblr kids that's constantly comparing Elizabeth Warren to Hermione Granger. Um, <laughs> I, I told Stephanie yesterday that it's like if in the eighth Harry Potter movie they revealed that Harry's parents were the children of Voldemort. Her dad, Harry's dad was the son of Voldemort, but not, not that he was the son of a clone of Voldemort. Um, but he was still good. Um, but then at the very end, Harry's like, no, I'm Harry Weasley, but also all the Weasleys are dead. Like they all died in the battle of Hogwarts. Like it's right. It's like, yeah, exactly. It's like, if, well, yeah, like, if Harry was like, oh, I found this great new family who wants to adopt me, like, I love them, oh, they're all dead, but it's cool, I'm still gonna take their name, even though my last family was also a nice family who was dead. Like, nothing is changing, the status quo is not changing here. Mm. Like, I, it's mystifying to me, I don't understand, like, I don't understand why they couldn't just leave her parents as shitty people. Like, what did they gain by making them good? Uh, we made it about bloodlines again. We had to explain that Ray couldn't be a nobody from nowhere, which was an explicit thesis of The Last Jedi, and we had to make her a a, a bloodline relative of but, one of the powerful families of the saga. But what I'm saying is you could still keep the stupid bloodline shit and just have her parents be shitty because the whole point of the bloodline thing is that the movie is trying to say even though she comes from a bad bloodline, which that's kind of weird and racist or something, like, <laughs> oh, like... <laughs> Fun fact, eugenics exists in the Star Wars Yeah, universe. you literally can just be born bad because of your bloodline, apparently. Um, but no, they could have kept that. And, like, still had her, you know, rise above her evil family. And it would have made more sense because her parents would have been shitty. You know? So what is achieved by making them good? Literally nothing is achieved by that. So I don't understand. I guess the only thing that I could possibly guess is achieved by it is really hammering home that Palpatine is the big evil guy who needs to be taken out here. And everything's his fault. And if we just kill him, then the galaxy will just reset to normal. But... I, I don't know. Until I, the next Palpatine clone shows up. Yeah, fucking. Which apparently because uh, canonically, them. there's a whole super star destroyer full of them. <sighs> Kill me. Um, I say canonically. That's quote unquote legends now. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. It. I. I just. I don't understand the point of it. It's probably my biggest problem with this movie because it completely undercuts all the found family stuff. All the rising above your. Yep. Your blood family thing, I yep. I don't understand. Anyway, okay, whatever. I've said my piece about that. Um, God, what's we're 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 getting to the end here. We got to freaking power through. So anyway, all that aside, she um gets to the Death Star ruins, um, which I actually think are pretty cool as a set piece. Feels a little less I member. It actually feels kind of cool because it's, like, the thing you remember, but, like, dark and twisted and, like, right, it's a shadow of its, it's former It's kind of serving self. a purpose. Yeah. I mean, it feels, like, thematically there might be a little going on. It doesn't really go anywhere, but it's fine. It's cool as a set. Um, 
And of course, while in these Death Star ruins, she does see a vision of her dark self, which is could have been cool. I like this kind of shit in the movie yes. when a person like encounters their shadow self or whatever has to kind of grapple with that with their right. dark side. But could have been cool. Yeah. Instead, it's a half second flash of nothing, and then nothing comes from it. She is scary because she got teeth. She got the shark teeth. Yeah. The British dentistry is not on trial here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it, it could be something, but her visions in this movie mean nothing. Mm. Yeah, it, feel, it feels like her kind of beginning to maybe acknowledge her dark side a little bit. But I don't know. I guess it kind of comes to fruition later when Palpatine tries to tempt her with turning to the dark, even though it's still complicated by the fact that he's just saying, do this or I'll kill your friends. He's not actually offering her something she wants. Anyway, never mind. Um, so the important thing is that Kylo Ren finally shows up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's what really matters here, right? Um, and um, he's still on some bullshit about he really wants her to go to Exegol with him. I don't really know why. I mean, just other than he likes to hang out with her, which I mean, fair, <laughs> like, I, I get it, bro, but, like, um, so he crushes the Wayfinder with his bare hands, which is sexy, but, you know, this movie doesn't know that it's sexy, or does it? I don't know. Um, let's see, she's mad at him, they fight. There's the whole give it to me moment. <laughs> It is like he literally like, oh. is taken aback. He literally like the ca- it, the caption said shuddering in parentheses. I was, that <laughs> was moment so... when she says "give it to me" and he <gasps> like visibly is <laughs> shaken. He just like flinches. It it's was, amazing. It's so funny. Like, but also like, I can't tell if the movie wants us to think that he that he thinks this is sexy, but it reads that way. Like he's like, oh. Like I, I, I just got a semi or something. Like, um, <laughs> I have the weirdest boner right now. <laughs> so, he, so he he's into it clearly. So they fight. Um, she snaps him. Yeah, yeah. Flashes, oh yeah. So him. Leia dies. Luke oh, yeah, kind of dies. She dies while this happens. This like, is just like the weirdest. Like she just kind of dies. She just she she lays down and she dies. Um, she went to sleep. <laughs> She's she's sleeping. They put blanket over her. She's sleep. Um, so no, it does say something like Maz says this because I guess it's supposed to be like explaining to the audience what's happening. She says like Leia has to do this to reach her son, and I'm like, well, that we could have done that five hours ago or something like. Um, but she like reaches out, and I guess I guess it's kind of like what Luke does. Like obviously, it's not a force projection, but it's like. Something that takes a lot of strength because she's, like, reaching out to to communicate with him. Which, whatever. Apparently freaking kills her. Um, this kills the Leia. Yeah. God. Uh, but it does give him pause, for sure. Because um, he, you know, is feeling his mother's presence and then her immediately dying. Which is kind of depressing. Uh, and, of course, Ray takes this opportunity to stab. Um... <laughs> How because she, she is bad. How could she stab? <laughs> I should have never shown you that meme. <laughs> Please. That's so funny. Uh, okay, so, so she stab. Um, which I guess is supposed to, as we mentioned earlier, be her struggling with the dark side. I, I don't really know. It's not really clear. Um, she stabs him. Immediately feels bad about it. 
he's just kind of sitting there looking kind of resigned to his death. He's like, oh, well, I guess this is how I go. Anyway, huh, peace. Like, <laughs> he honestly, it, it's kind of remarkable. Once again, like, Adam Driver, like, desperately trying to act, like, <laughs> at every turn here. And the movie being like, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, so, he's sitting there. You know, she heals him. We talked about that. And this is, like, maybe the first time that they acknowledge something that happened in The Last Jedi. Uh, where she says, uh, I did want to take your hand, Ben's hand. Okay, to be fair, they do acknowledge. They talk about... He mentions that he offered her his hand earlier in the movie. But this is where she finally, like, gives an answer to that. Um, and it's kind of nice. But then, you know, she immediately runs away and they never actually exchange any more words for the duration of the movie. Because, of course, then she immediately uh, lights out for uh, Octo, which is kind of nice to see. I don't know if it counts as a member Barry because it was just the previous movie. But um, then she talks to Luke about Jedi Something. shit. Um, he tells her, like, you gotta face your fears. That's cool. I get that. That makes sense. Um... And then uh, lifts the X-Wing for reasons. I lift to the box when I stood on my head. Yeah, so that happens. I don't know. I, I, I don't really care about this. I do think it's like an egregious member barrier, but like whatever. It doesn't really affect the story. I do think maybe Ray should have lifted it, but that would have also been kind of egregious as well. It's fine. Doesn't really matter. Uh, his, you will take both sabers to Exegol. That's the that's the catch. That's what wins you the day. <laughs> Except it actually is. Um, Having more lightsabers. It, more lightsabers means more the force. <laughs> means more win the day. Mm. Um, okay, so she goes out of there. Um, the resistance is doing stuff that we don't care about. <laughs> I mean, that they're just doing the usual resistance stuff that you expect. They have to rally after Leia dies, of course. I mean, that makes sense. So, uh, yeah, yada yada, they go to Exegol. Or, sorry, they... D Ray goes to Exegol, which, you know, I guess her big plan is just she's going to go there and kill Palpatine and save the day. Uh, apparently, um, so she gets there. We already kind of got into what Palpatine is trying to say. Yeah, like, yeah, he... Yeah. It doesn't really make a lot of sense. No, it doesn't. But he's basically trying to threaten her with, like, if you don't take command of the final order and, like, assume my position, then your friends will be killed. But also it's like, is he just saying that if she strikes him down and takes the position, then, like, she'll be bad forever? What if she just decided, okay, now that I've called off the armies, I'm not bad anymore? Or... But then he says something about all the Sith, like, invading her body or something. I, I, I don't, do not, I have no idea what is happening right in this sequence, all right? All of the Sith, I don't know, I have no... no yeah, there's something about Sith body possession. I pay very, uh, very little attention to this sequence. Oh my god. No, I, I have actually paid attention because I'm trying to understand it, I'm just not quite there yet. Um... Anyway, so, yeah, this happens, and, of course, there's that kind of cool moment where he's, like, she, she says something about uh, Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader defeated him before, 
which apparently didn't stick. Um, <laughs> and he says, Luke Skywalker was saved by his father. You have no one, like, no one but me. Which is, is you know, that's kind of cool, because there is that earlier line that freaking Carrie Russell has, where she's like, they win by making you think you're alone. Oh, but then, enter good boy Ben Solo. It's oh, one of my favorite, like, video edits ever. Yes. Is fucking Ben Solo storming Exegol to I Need a Hero. <laughs> Perfect. Amazing. Love it. 10 out of 10. Like I said, this sequence is the the only reason I will rewatch this movie multiple times, despite the fact that I don't really like it, but I will just kind of endure it to get to this part. Because it's great. And it's just, like, the way that, like, Adam Driver was trying so hard to act this entire movie. And then he doesn't even have any lines. But he still completely steals the show. Yep. Like, just, just fucking swipes it. Um, and, of course, like, even before the scene, there there's that the great, like, kind of turning point for him when he's alone on the Death Star ruins. And he has that conversation with... Maybe a ghost, maybe a figment of his imagination, Han Solo, which feels weirdly, weirdly subtle, weirdly ambiguous, or a weirdly deft hand for this movie, like, to be like, I don't really know what this is. All that matters is that he's having a conversation with his dead father. Like, I think that's kind of cool. I like that it's not really specified. I mean, okay, it is specified. Han says, like, I'm your memory, but we're not really told what that means, but I don't think we need to know what it means. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, and, um, you know, and, and they, they talk, which I guess that that's only the way they were able to get Harrison Ford back was like, we promise you can have a scene that actually matters. Like, uh, also we'll pay you a million dollars. Yeah. Also y- you can buy another plane and immediately crash it. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh but no, and of course, yeah, that's a great scene, and he calls it dad, and I almost get in my feelings, which, how dare this movie. And the cat's in the cradle <laughs> and the silver spoon. How dare this movie think that it can make me feel something, even though it occasionally does. Um, Little boy blue and the man in the moon. <laughs> thank you, Caleb. Yes, this entire trilogy is about how Han wouldn't, like, play catch with when Ben when he was a kid. Home, son, I don't know when. <laughs> Sorry, I'm done. Uh, okay, so, yeah, so he good now. He throws the lightsaber away for no reason. Should right, he could have used that. Oh, I've seen a lot of people say that he should have just healed the crystal, which is canonically something that they could do and would have represented him mm. reconciling, like, the sides mm. of himself. Mm. But they don't do that. He just yeet it. Um, <laughs> and then runs to Exegol with only a blaster, which is kind of cute, kind of kind of sweet, kind of endearing. Very Han Solo. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's great. Um, he, and he's got his little shirt, or his big shirt, I should say. It's clearly... No, it's a good boy sweater. It's a, Yeah, it's his good boy sweater. Got a little hole in it. Aw. Um, <laughs> From where he got stabbed. Yeah. He probably will cherish that shit, though, for the the remaining 15 minutes of his life, because um, that's where Ray stabbed him. He's probably into that. Um, so, yeah, so this is all great, and God, just the moment when they see each other, like, through the Force Bond, like, it, it's it's beautiful. See, this is, 
movie makes me so bad. I'll like spend so much time hating it, but then there are these these just a few moments where it's the, just the like passing of the saber. Yes, it's gorgeous. The the music, like this beautiful, like twinkly, magical music, and it's like this is it. This is what we've been waiting for. Like this is them finally coming together. Like and yeah, where she passes him the saber, like they've kind of perfected the bond at this point. Like it's beautiful. His his little shruggy shrug. I love the shrug. It's adorable. I love him so much. And that is like shrug immediately wastes all those guys who were his compatriots, I guess. But it's fine. He's good now. Um, <laughs> uh, fight scene that doesn't matter. Uh, they're so happy to be together. They're finally gonna defeat the bad guy. Everything's great from here on out. I don't even want to talk about this part. The fact that they're literal soulmates. And then, like, Palpatine's like, ha, 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 I can use that for my own benefit. And then, like, you fools. And then, like, Palpatine's actually right. And, like, love doesn't save the day. And, like, their love isn't the ultimate power. It's literally just because, like, Rey got, like, a power-up and, like, learned how to go Super Saiyan Jedi 2. <laughs> and, like, do a stronger Kamehameha than, than Palpatine. It's... I think this movie thinks that it's saying love saves the day because if Ben hadn't showed up for her, then she, the movie wants us to think that it it kind of indicates that she would have given over to the dark side and just given up. You know, it, that's, that's not nothing. I, I get that as like a thematic thing. Um, and I think it also is trying to say love saves the day in that like, like, she would have died if he didn't bring her back to life. Like, if he didn't give up his life for hers, which, you know, is is good. I like that. I mean, I, I don't have the biggest problem with it because I kind of see it as, a, like, kind of the fulfillment of Anakin, like, what Anakin couldn't do. Like, he, he was so, like, desperate to keep Padme from dying, but he was also selfish. Like, he wanted to have everything his way. You know, he wanted to grow powerful enough to stop her from dying. Um, and in the end, I guess the kind of depressing answer is you can't keep the people you love from dying unless you die in their place. <laughs> Which is, I guess that's a, it's a little depressing. But like, it, What a shitty message. I, it is saying. a little bit. But I like it as a reversal of Anakin. But, but yes, it... Anyways, it is kind of odd because in a story like Star Wars that is so, like, mythopoetic or whatever, like, that you would kind of expect that the big turning point, the big salvation would be, I don't know, you know, love saving the day or something like that. That's what saved the day in Return of the Jedi. I mean, that's true. It, it, it literally is. Um, it was Luke's love for his father and Vader's love for his son. Um... Which I suppose this is at this point we must note that in the Return of the Jedi, the big moment for Luke was throwing down his saber, and for Rey, the big moment is picking up a second saber. Uh, uh, <laughs> so done with this movie. That's a little funny. I don't have to think about it anymore. Okay. Well, neither do I, but it exists, so I have to think about it forever. Um, anyway, so yeah, yada yada, um, they get knocked out, <laughs> Ben gets yeeted. They get back up again. Uh, <laughs> you're never gonna keep them down. 
Um, Ben gets thrown into a pit, and, um, uh, it's okay, he's fine. Uh, (laughs) but then Ray uh, hears the voices of the past Jedi, which is, like, isolated, it's kind of a cool moment. Like, um... Yes. I don't like it as the summation of a nine-movie saga. In context... It is lame and dumb and only references a single line that happened at the beginning of this movie. Yeah, the beer thing. There was, there was a setup and a payoff, but no reminder. All right? That's not... Uh-uh. <laughs> yeah. that, don't, that don't fly with the big dog. Kale's like, you need your reminder. You need your third step. I need the setup, the reminder, and the payoff for it to at least be cathartic. In this, it's just like Ray introduces the idea of like communing with a prior Jedi. Yeah. And look, as someone who is a big avatar the last airbender fan i am a big fan of the hero communing with his past lives to learn important lessons before the final battle Mm -hmm. but this is just this ain't it chief well and what's odd is that like i don't know the line be with me is a cool line but it's such a like it's like a romantic sounding line it seems like it should have been said to ben like or or him saying it to her like something like that and it could have still had that sort of spiritual meaning and it could have even included the Jedi as well, but it, I don't know, it feels like... It's hollow. Yeah, it fe- because she doesn't have an emotional connection to them, or any connection at all, really, beyond, like, the the whole Force thing. <laughs> you know, that, that little Force thing that exists in Star Wars. But I, I don't know, I feel like there was a better way to do it, but it's fine. Um, the Jedi speak to her, she gets up. <laughs> the, the Jedi yeet the fuck out of there as soon as she drops down dead <laughs> after killing this is another reason it rings kind of hollow that i like it's great for me like as a Raylo shipper but it's not great for the movie's message because basically what it's unintentionally saying is that no one cared about ray as a person uh no one cared about ray as a person instead of just a vessel or like a warrior like uh, after she had finished her use like after she killed the bad guy like she drops down dead and, like, yep. no one's there to help her. Like, nope. it's literally just Ben. <laughs> and <laughs> Which no one is... helps Ben. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, just no one helps him. Uh, so that's fun. Um, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, the Jedi get a, get the fuck up out of there. Um, and Ray's dead. And then Ben comes, and it's really sweet. And he, like, holds her in his arms. And it's really sad. And then... <laughs> <laughs> This concludes our broadcast. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, see, once again, this continues, like, that weird feeling of, like, this is some of my favorite moments in all of Star Wars, and also, I'm so miserable right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, we know what happens. Um, he brings her back to life. They kiss. You kind of have to think of it from her perspective, where she's like, cool, I'm alive. Palpatine is dead. I finally get my boyfriend. And then... <laughs> <laughs> then he dies. Right, right. She looks so happy, and then boom, <laughs> he die. Um, and um, yeah, I'm just glad we got to see him smile once before he fucking ate it. Um, <laughs> the little things. Uh, and then yeah, so yada yada. She fucks home like nothing happened. It's a happy dance party. The end. But Caleb. There's no. the one last scene. No. We gotta talk about. No, there is not one more scene. <laughs> there, that scene. There... About the scene. What's the scene? Oh, right. I literally forgot about this until when we watched it last night. Caleb, you didn't remember? No, I didn't remember because it's. 
dumb and i choose not to i will say for this scene i like the music thank you john williams you have been there for the saga through hell and high water um the music is cool apart from that (laughs) right fucking binary sunset yeah 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 this is ray turning directly to the camera and saying remember luke skywalker (laughs) uh once again, I think this scene could have been semi-salvaged for me if they just had Ben's Force Ghost there. Um, but he's not there. It's just her twin-cest parents, Luke and Leia, smiling benevolently from Force Ghost Heaven. Um, and then is like, they are my parents now. Ray Skywalker. Even though Leia didn't use the last name Skywalker and never really reconciled with the idea of being part of the Skywalker family because she always kind of hated Vader. Yep. But and she never met him. Yeah. I mean, I mean she, outside she of never that... met him as her father. Right. Yeah. Uh, but it's fine. Um, it's just kind of funny because out of like Luke, Leia, and Ben, like Luke probably was the one she had the least of a relationship with. She knew him for three days. Yeah, that's kind of odd. Um, but you know, she couldn't take the name Solo because that wouldn't be as thematic or symbolic or something. Um, but I, I don't know. I guess I, I kind of reconcile it by thinking of like, it's kind of like the Rose Rose Dawson thing from, uh, Titanic, where she's like she takes the name of like the person she loved. Now, obviously, Ben doesn't go by Skywalker, but she's, like, symbolically taking the name of the family. And, you know, what's the most common way that people join a family? They marry into it. There you go. In my view, they're married and she has a ghost husband. Uh, from a certain point of view. From a certain point of view, that is exactly what happened. Uh, no. Um, so, I would say the biggest sin this movie really commits, like, fundamentally, is just an inability to commit to anything. Um, or, or wanting to have things both ways, I guess, like, you know, like Ray's a Skywalker, but she's also a Palpatine, but in a way, isn't she also a nobody, you know, uh, the Palpatines were bad. They were also good. The Skywalkers were bad. They were also good. You know, um, got Ray struggling with the dark side, but she's also good. And what's like... Sorry, I don't mean to be too dismissive here. I know those things can all be true. I just don't think that the movie really engages with the ways in which they can be true at the same time. You know, like, Ray and Ben are enemies, but they're also in love. They kiss, but then she forgets about him and he never appears again. Finn is Force-sensitive. God, we didn't even get into this because there's not even time. Finn is Force-sensitive, but he never gets to do anything with it. It's never explored. It's just kind of indicated that he has it and then never comes up again and he never gets to tell ray oh right right that he spends the whole movie trying to tell her and then just never does for some reason um like rose is there once again something we didn't even talk about but like uh completely it's as if her role in the last jedi didn't happen it's as if her and finn you know didn't have a dramatic kiss it like uh, all this finn stuff gives her a friendly pat on the shoulder oh god the cringe it's so bad. I, uh, that's another thing I don't understand is like why didn't why not have him just like just kiss her goodbye or something? You wouldn't even have to have it on screen, but you could at least acknowledge that they had a thing in the previous movie. You didn't have to erase it, but it's fine. It's fine. I guess that would make the fanboys too upset, and we don't want to do that. Um, just like 
so much of this stuff, I feel like if the movie had just picked something and really committed to it and been like, this is what I want to say, this is how I want to say it, this is what we're doing. Like, even if I didn't like it, like, I don't really like Ray Palpatine, but if they had really committed to that shit and really explored what it meant, sure, you know, maybe I could get on board with that, you know? But they don't, so. Caleb is just completely checked out at this point. I have expended, between the last two days, I've expended all the mental energy I can possibly expend on The Rise of Skywalker. Oh, oh, I can expend so much. And no, have. my brain said I am done with the Star War. Please do not mention it for the next three to six months. Just, it, the worst part is that I want to say I'm done with Star Wars because of this shit, but I know I'm not. <laughs> Just when I think I'm out, they pull me right back in. Um... I don't know what it will take for me to get me to actually drop it, but if it hasn't happened yet, it probably never will, so <laughs> I'm stuck in this hell forever. Uh, <laughs> that's a fun note to end on, right? Anyway, but what can we learn, Caleb? What, what can we learn from our experience of these, these stories as endings? Honestly, we didn't even get into so much how The Rise of Skywalker wraps up, like, the story of the saga we more just talked about it as a movie i wish we had done a little more of that in retrospect but i mean it doesn't really so there is that but um i i yeah i wish we had looked at it a little more from that lens because we we are ostensibly talking about like how sagas end and like how the the, the makers of these films chose to end these sagas but i mean Endgame is the explicit end of a meticulously planned out saga, whereas The Rise of Skywalker is the end of something that people didn't think no existed until like 2015, right? Like episode six was quote unquote the end until Disney bought Star Wars and was like, we're going to make more. So it's already in a worse position from, from the, from the start, you know? Yeah. It, it And it does feel very much like the sequel trilogy feels very much like it was made up on the fly. Which, I mean, is pretty much what happened. They didn't have, like, a, a big overarching plan, it turns out. It's kind of weird when you pay that much money for the rights. But, yeah. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it's fine. Uh, but, I don't know. So, I, what what would you say is the big takeaway here? From? For how and how not to end a saga. Hmm. nostalgia is not inherently bad hmm. it's how you implement it how reverent you are towards it how you handle it how you treat it yes right right it just it's okay to make strong choices in fact you should make strong choices and you should commit to them but you shouldn't make them without thinking about how it will affect the story as a whole because that's hmm. the thing about making an ending that is different from making like a middle chapter like, what you do here is the f the final word in the story of Skywalker, or whatever. Um, this is, and in retrospect, like, it it will retroactively define the message of the previous movies. Yeah. Which, unfortunately, is something that The Rise of Skywalker kind of, like, kind of undercuts some stuff from the previous movies by how it ends. Um, and I think, like, that's something to keep in mind, like you need to not only build on what came before, but think about how your ending will change what came before will change how we view it. Um, yeah. And just like, 
use nostalgia as maybe like a building block, not as the whole deal, you yes. know? Yeah. Like, like pay some tribute to what came before if you want to, but make sure that you're actually putting an end on it. You're mm. actually saying something new about it. Get some spice, not the entree. God, yeah. There you go. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, somewhere in here we will have included some stuff for Justin to say. I'm not quite <laughs> sure yet. <laughs> we will record those at a, at a later point. And hopefully he will have some good and in, in, maybe some different insights from us because this was mostly just agree- us agreeing with each other, um, <laughs> which is what it usually. Is. We've had these same conver- the same conversation many many times. Yep, and probably will in the future. This is just the first time we've recorded it. Caleb, yeah. Uh, thank you for listening. Mm-hmm. We appreciate it. Thanks for bearing with us with our bitching here. We hope you have a lovely evening, afternoon, day. I don't know what time of day you're listening to this. Yeah, happy 2021, too, if it's actually there yet. I don't know when this is coming out. Probably before 2021. My name is Caleb. You can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at actual underscore Caleb. Uh, my name is Stephanie. You can find me on Twitter at Steph has no name and on Letterboxd at Ray's Left Boom. Good night, everybody. Good night. Thank you so much for listening to our show. You can find us online on Twitter and Instagram at SoundsFamiliar. If you'd like to get in contact with us, drop us a line at SoundsFamiliar at gmail.com. We'd like to thank our friend Chelsea for our logo. Be sure to check her out on Instagram at ChelseaBHDesigns. We'd also like to thank Shane Quick for our theme music. If you feel so inclined, please leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to tune in every Tuesday for new episodes. We'll see you next time on Sounds Familiar.